Welcome to the Region Free Gamers Podcast, Episode 3. Today, RPGs, Battle Systems, Titus, are you excited? Uh, yeah. Wow, that's, uh, wow. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Region Free Gamers podcast, the podcast that is fluent in gaming, uh, streaming live from my mother's basement in parts unknown. Uh, I'm here with my lovely, lovely co-hosts, Paul, Masa, and Ozzy. Um, So this is episode three of the Region Free Gamers podcast, the one that Arnie gets to host, which means it'll be the longest and slash probably most boring one. Um, cause we're going to talk about a topic that is near and dear to my heart, RPGs. Um, specifically we're going to trim it down to just turn-based RPGs because otherwise this would probably be like a 40 hour podcast. And I, I mean, nobody but me would actually listen to that. Uh, and the reason I picked this topic and I think we're mostly specifically this, this episode, we're going to focus on battle systems, um, of RPGs one, because I really love RPGs and I think battle systems in RPGs are probably like top two most important factors in any RPG I play. Um, and I think RPGs are a very formative part in a lot of gamers sort of development as gamers. I think that a lot of people can point back to the first time they played an RPG and a lot of the time that's a really important and indelible experience in the, uh, in the gaming landscape for them. Um, that being said, before I just start rambling, I want to throw it to who should I throw it to first? I'm gonna throw it to Ozzy um, to start us off with the games that we're currently playing right now. So, Ozzy, what are you playing right now? Well, hey, uh, hey everyone, um, Ozzy here, and uh, not in my mother's basement, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's all good. It's kind of cold here, uh, but in any case, what I've been playing lately. I'm actually revisiting an old friend um, at the time of recording. Uh, the Shadow of the Colossus remake has recently come out. It hasn't been out for two weeks. And uh, Shadow of the Colossus, um, just to put it on the record now, it's my favorite game of all time. And I would actually say the best game of all time. Um, so, bold claim, bold claim. you know, <laughs> you, you oh, can. I know, right? You can Breath dispute that. Wild. You know, I'll fight you. <laughs> Masa, Masa, if I was in Finland right now, I would be taking out a knife and would be out on the street. So <laughs> come at me, bro. We settle it like we settle it like men. Um, so yeah, I've been I've been replaying Shadow of the Colossus and kind of you know thinking about the the value and worth of remakes and you know if every remake has the level of quality, love, and attention to detail as a Shadow of the Colossus remake, then. I don't really see why that would be a bad thing. Um, the, the way I see a remake, if we're going by Shadow of the Colossus, is almost like, let's say, you know, you have a book from yeah. 19th century Russia, um, and it was translated in the early 20th century, whereas a remake would be the modern translation that, you know, perhaps it uses much more modern terms or has, you know, new phrases that kind of explain a lot better what the intent of the author was trying to achieve. And that's kind of how I see this remake. It's just trying to get us closer to what Fumito Ueda 
as the designer um, was trying to achieve without having to be constantly pulled back by technical issues and the technological constraints um, of the of the era of the PS2, which you know, Shadow of the Colossus is an amazing game for its time, but it really put the PS2 through its paces. Um, and so you could see that kind of creaking architecture, um, even in the PS3 um, remaster. Um, so, you know, if you haven't played Shadow of the Colossus, there's no reason why you should not play the, the remake. I think that's really the definitive version right now, at least based on what I have been playing so far. So it's a perfect opportunity for people that weren't into it before, or maybe missed out on it to just go back and explore it. So certainly, if you haven't tried it, certainly give it a go. Yeah, and I, well, and I will say, yeah. <laughs> the, the thing about Shadow of the Colossus that I've always found super interesting is that Shadow of the Colossus is sort of like video game story distilled to its purest form, right? Um, there's no setup, there's no explanation of anything. You just go out and you figure things out you know you sort of develop you sort of start learning about the narrative as you play as you kill more colossi and you sort of start understanding what's going on more and more but there's never a point where somebody just sits you down and sort of explains it all to you you sort of have to come up with your your own interpretation of what's happening but there is a there is a very strong narrative i mean it's very yeah. minimalist it's it's extremely minimalist i mean you don't really know what's really happening until maybe the 10th colossus yeah. um and it, it but there is a very effective and strong story in it um and it's just story and narrative as you said distilled to its purest form um while still being as effective or even more effective than a story with overt exposition um the exposition is all kind of under the hood um and i would actually now that i'm talking about it, I would say that games like Dark Souls, which tell their narrative through kind of contextual world building, I, I think a lot of it is influenced by Shadow of the Colossus. I mean, we can't really understate how influential Shadow of the Colossus has been. Um, and it's not necessarily, you know, you have games like Journey, you have games like Abzu um, and the like, or even Rhyme, which came out recently. Those are like direct riffs on Shadow of the Colossus. I mean, those are directly influenced. But Every other game has taken something from Shadow of the Colossus. The storytelling, certainly, uh, but also the scale. Um, the idea of climbing enemies and, and the enemies being a level unto itself. Um, we saw that immediately after Shadow of the Colossus came out, a few years later with God of War 3. Um, that's the first time I remember seeing a game kind of implementing that approach. Um, and then every other, I mean, so many other games have just kind of used that, um, that, that principle. Breath of the Wild has also used that. So I think all the constituent parts of Shadow of the Colossus have really seeped through the entire gaming medium. And it's just kind of been dispersed throughout. Um, so it, I really cannot understate how influential this game has been. Um, so anyways, I'm, I could keep babbling on. So stop me, Arnie. <laughs> all right. <laughs> All right. In order to stop your babbling, let's move on to Paul, who I'm sure will not babble about what he's currently playing. No, no. The last thing I'm known for is babbling incoherently <laughs> about video games. Exactly. <laughs> uh, mainly, I've just been playing portable stuff because I was away for a while, and all yeah. I took with me was the uh, was the 3DS. And uh, I had meant to start playing Fire Emblem Fates Birthright, and I actually only just started playing that yesterday. While I was on vacation, I mainly played 
And I'm almost ashamed at this point because I got this game late in October, but Etrian Odyssey 5. Still? Like, how many times have you guys heard me ramble on about Etrian Odyssey yep. freaking 5, right? Um, but yeah, I finally, I finally closed the coffin lid on that one and put it away. Nice. Like, it was... Yeah, I know, right? It is Phew. nice to get rid of that beautiful, beautiful game. It's um, like retiring. It, it was... What's that? It's like retiring. You've been at it for so long, you're just like, I'm glad it's over now, and I get to move yeah. on to something else. Yeah, I get my I get my gold watch, and I'm all done, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, so, you know what? Overall, like, probably the best Etrian Odyssey game that I've played, and the only, the only knock against it is that every Etrian Odyssey game has, like, a super boss at mm -hmm. the end, and so I was... I would say that I put in an extra 20 hours on the game just in the process of fighting the super boss because yeah. that's the it's it's a lot of fun, right? Yeah. And uh, it turns out in Etrian Odyssey 5, and unless I'm mistaken, and I don't think I am, I didn't actually look it up, I just kind of assumed, uh, you don't fight the super boss unless you play New Game Plus, which, oh. no thank you. That is yeah, right. I desire. Paul will still be talking about that game in like, let's say like our episode 8 or something. <laughs> oh my god, I hope not. So I restarted Etrian Odyssey no, 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 5. I, I'm done. <laughs> death, I, I'm done with Etrian Odyssey 5, Paul, I swear to god. Death, Texas, and Etrian Odyssey. That's the three things we can count on in this world. <laughs> Dude, if they, w whenever they release Etrian Odyssey 6, I'm going to be right up, right up in that. Um, and just one more other one while I was on vacation. I was playing a lot of Code of Princess uh, oh, for the yeah. 3DS. Yeah, it's the uh, basically the spiritual sequel to Guardian Heroes, and uh, it was it's both it's both really good and mildly disappointing. The only knock I have against it is that the controls are are pretty loose and it feels a little bit sluggish. It feels like the characters are kind of running in molasses a little bit. Yeah. Um, which is extreme, which sadly is extremely important to that kind of game. Mm -hmm. For those of you who don't know, it's sort of like a, a side-scrolling, beat-em-up, Street Fighter kind of hybrid um, with RPG elements. They really just kind of, like the original Guardian Heroes, they just kind of throw a whole bunch of elements in there and it all seems to work really well together. But aside from the controls, which, to be fair, I have gotten used to, uh, the game is charming. Like, the character design is actually a step up from Guardian Heroes, and Guardian Heroes already had super charming character design. Mm -hmm. The well, animation Paul. is really fluid. Yeah, what's up? Uh, it Actually, if I recall correctly, it was the same um, artist uh, for Guardian Heroes that actually... Um, was the artist for Code of Princess, um, if, yes. if I recall correctly. So it was uh, it was you know former Treasure uh, employee and one of their main guys. Um, so he's the one that designed I think Guardian Heroes, Gunstar Heroes, in terms of the uh, art design. Yeah, as far as I know, the character design is from the same guys who have done the previous Treasure games. It's it's really obvious too. Like I don't even need to read up on that to know for sure. And uh, they've really just kind of hit their apex here like the characters are, are really charming really original and really different from each other the game has loads of replay value if you want that kind of thing um if you just want to go through the story as the main character then you know you can do that it's you know it's um chopped up into bite-sized chunks to suit the portable format overall 
I'd say really good. A little disappointed with the controls, but beyond that, it's it's pretty cool. And uh, yeah, that's basically what I've been playing. Uh, Masa. Okay, so um, I kind of feel like I've been in gaming heaven lately, and that's thanks to two <laughs> games, one of which actually just came out yesterday. Um, so I'm going to start with the game that that I actually just played before we started recording this podcast, uh, before I move on to the, the main event. But yeah, Bayonetta 1 and 2 um, came out on the Switch yesterday. And um, okay, so yeah, I mean, I love Bayonetta 1, but like Bayonetta 2 is, I would say it's um, not only my favorite hack and slash game, but also one of my all-time favorite games. And that was like, like it's not, like the sweet spot is not that different. Um, like the frame rate is better. Um, the graphics are maybe a little bit like polished. Um, and they added like amiibo functionality. So it's it's kind of like if you already have like the Wii U version, it's, I don't know. I'm not sure if the Switch version is like worth getting, but like for me personally, um, since I'm such a huge fan of the game, um, I just had to get it. <laughs> like day one and um and it's still just as good as ever um it's crazy how yeah i mean Bernard 2 came out a few years ago already and um i still think that it, it is the best hack and slash game i've ever played and it still feels like it's like so far ahead of like any other hack and slash game that i like i that i have personally played um well have we have I'm not surprised have like we when you look at the team behind it it's not yeah, surprising yeah, exactly. at all and it plays perfectly on the switch have we really seen a have we really seen a, a hack and slash game in the vein of bayonetta 2 since because it feels like it, it's it's almost like platinum is carrying the torch for that style yeah, of yeah. stylish action game i, I would say maybe near automata but near automata was not really um trying to achieve kind of that hack and slash perfection that bayonetta 2 um kind of work through. I mean, Bayonetta 2 I put in the in the vein of Devil May Cry, and it's not surprising since Hideki Kamiya is, is the director for both of those games. Um, but I, I don't think that there have really been a lot of hack and slash games since Bayonetta 2 that could really even, you know, stand up to it. I mean... Uh, yeah, like it's been quite a thrill ride once again. And uh, I don't know, it's like one of those special, special games that um, like the moment you start playing, it's like, yeah, this... Like, this is the real deal, and it's, um, yeah, I mean, like, I'm falling in love with that game <laughs> over, like, all over again, and, I mean, I know, like, my girlfriend was just talking about it yesterday, she was like, yeah, why are you even playing that game, since you have, like, such a, um, horrible backlog situation, I was like, I don't <laughs> know, like, I shouldn't <laughs> be playing this, but it's just so freaking good, like, like, I just, like, that game's game just, like, um, I don't know. I'm just really happy when I play that game, and it's yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's what it's yeah, all exactly. about. Exactly. But yeah. yeah, like um. I mean, and now it's portable. I mean, the portability is probably the number one reason to get the Switch. Version, yeah, yeah. Right? Like get Bayonetta on the go. Like yeah, and not? it's actually interesting how the resolution is actually the same. It's 720, both on mm-hmm. you know docked and um, on the handheld mode, which is, I mean, of course, like it looks amazing, like on the handheld mode, but then um, on TV. Okay, yeah, sure. Especially like if, like, uh, I would imagine that if you have a 4K TV, then uh, the especially like the first game is like, I would say it's definitely like starting to show its age, and 
probably the same thing with the second game. On like normal HDTV, it still looks fine, but uh, I do wish that they would have like bumped up the resolution a bit. Um, but yeah, like what Ozzy said about um, Nier, um, yeah, it's actually interesting because yeah, I mean I loved Nier, but for some reason like the the combat system felt a bit off to me. I mean it's I mean it's still great, but um, I would say uh, that I definitely prefer like the Bayonetta style. I don't know. I mean, I think if uh, I, I was trying to figure out why I wasn't as interested in, in the combat system in Nier Automata as other planning games. And I think it's really because Nier Automata doesn't emphasize as much um, kind of the versatility and variety of moves and kind of like the the combination of combo systems and the like. Um, yes, there's a combo system, It's but it's all less, you know, it, it all feels much more rigid in, in a way. Um, whereas Bayonetta... It's just a constant variation of, of moves, a constant, you know, ballet, basically, of, of, uh, of guns and swordplay. And, and it's it's just really, really, you know, just well done all around. I mean, and I think Nier Automata is also well done, but I don't think it really is the focus of the game at all. And I, if I recall correctly, I don't think Nier Automata was actually developed by kind of Platinum's A team. It was actually developed, if I recall correctly, by some of their younger guys. Um, so it might have been a way for them to kind of, you know, get a lot more experience and the like. But uh, I, I still think it's a very good, you know, combat system, um, you know, heads and shoulders above every other combat system out there in, in most action games. But um, but in terms of platinum caliber, yeah, I don't think it reaches up to yeah, Bayonetta. Yeah. But then, yeah, let's move on to the, the game that I've been playing quite a bit lately. Um, Yakuza Zero. And um, yeah... Like we talked about, we had that like um, infamous beat 'em up episode, <laughs> and we <laughs> talked about like, <laughs> yeah, we talked about like, like you know, there was the question about like, what would your dream um, beat 'em up game be? And I was like, yeah, maybe it is Yakuza. And now I'm convinced that my dream beat 'em up game, yeah, it is Yakuza Zero, because that game, like, oh my god. Um, we will have to, you know, do an episode <laughs> about Yakuza games because holy crap! <laughs> like, okay, last year was amazing gaming-wise, and you know, I had a very solid top five, and I was like, yeah, I don't think any other game would, you know, knock any of those other games out of the top five. But yeah, I'm, I'm now like playing Yakuza Zero. Um, I'm a little bit. Mm, I'm not even. I'm not even done with the game, and I just hit the 100-hour mark. <laughs> Oh, yeah, wow. jeez, it's a it's a massive game, and and on top of that, when you take into account all the mini games that you play, I mean, you have arcades, you have RC racing, you have baseball, um, I think you may have golf. Um, it's it's just a massive yeah, game. Is, I mean, yeah. I've, I've heard it referred to recently as uh, you know, the 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 biggest and most violent mini game collection. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> which <laughs> it, it makes perfect sense because really I played Jakusa for kind of like the 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 kind of tourism the the Japanese tourism that I get to indulge in. Um, to me, the fighting is almost secondary, and I love the fighting, but it's really you know to be able to experience something that is so unabashedly foreign. Um, Jakusa is that one series that is completely unapologetic about being Japanese and that's actually why people love it um, and it just feels like 
a glimpse into another culture, a glimpse into another world. And you know, I'm not gonna say that Japan is you know a bunch of guys you know running up to you and saying, hey, you know, you uh, you know, look me the wrong way, you know, let's fight, you know. I mean, it would be pretty well, interesting. Thank God, because that's that's what I thought. It that's. Was. I mean, it would be pretty interesting, but I, so I don't can't think... just throw bicycles at random <laughs> Japanese people. You know, I yeah. <laughs> I, I think bicycles are perfect melee weapons. And even um, motorcycles. So maybe that... <laughs> but, uh, but you know, in terms of kind of like the the quirkiness of it, it just feels extremely Japanese. And I, I don't doubt, Masa, you're, you're... I get the sense you're a big Japanophile. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't doubt that that's a big part of your appeal yeah. there. And, I mean, but it is not only that, but um, the fact that there, there's, like, so much to do. And even, like, let's say these, like, last two weeks, I've been playing the game daily, but I have actually been playing a game within a game because there's this very, very long mini game. Actually, I wouldn't even call it a mini game anymore because uh, there's this. Um, yeah, it's actually a part of the storyline, but it's basically a whole, like this massive, like side story, and it's about running a hostess cabaret club. <laughs> it's yeah. the most addictive <laughs> thing ever and I don't know I don't even want to think about how many hours I spend on that like maybe 20-30 hours <laughs> just playing that Masa Masa you're grooming yeah, wife yeah. that was what you were meant to do yeah, that I was mean, what you were meant to do yeah, your whole I mean, life. all these girls <laughs> in this game I mean they are actually like Japanese porn stars which obviously makes it even better <laughs> <laughs> and you get to go on these like fake dates with them <laughs> Like, uh, how is this game not the best game ever? <laughs> <laughs> like, I might have to take it back. Like, when I said that Breath of the Wild is the best game, I mean, yeah, it actually might be Yakuza Zero. <laughs> actually, I want to see that blur. <laughs> it, it's funny because uh, we're going to be talking about RPGs, and Yakuza is very much an RPG. Um, it, it, it's, you know, it's not turn-based. It's very much fighting-based, but it's very much an RPG. And it has all the RPG... Uh, hallmarks, you know, side quests, leveling up, you know, new moves, and it's it's really a deep system if you really want to get down to it. But uh, it's it's kind of carrying on. I would say it's probably the biggest Japanese RPG right now, actually, at the moment, um, if you want to call it that. Um, so yeah, anyways, I, I, I have to mention like one more thing before we uh, move on to the um, main topic. But yeah, the side stories in that game. Um, you, okay. Yeah, they're they ridiculous. are. And they're completely you think ridiculous. About, like, okay, so I was playing Final <laughs> Fantasy 15 a few weeks ago, and you know, I did some a bunch of like side quests, and most of them were like, yeah, um, go from point A to point B and collect like five frogs, and then you know, get your ass back, and you will get a yeah. reward. Oh, the worst one, dude! I can't. Yeah, anyway, I mean, sorry, it's like, <laughs> why? Like, I was like, why would I be even doing this side quest? Because they're just like so tedious and just. I don't know, there's like no point, but in Yakuza... It's because yeah, you exactly. hate your life, you hate your life, that's why I you're mean, doing I've those side quests. I've been doing like every side quest that I've been able to, you know, find, and... Same. They are just... I don't know, it's definitely like one of those only well, Japan kind of games. I don't want to spoil anything, but um, there was, for example, one side quest uh, where I, um, you know, I was walking down the street, and all of a sudden there's this like dominatrix, um, being scolded uh, by her client <laughs> for not being like <laughs> a very good dominatrix, uh, not and like being really bad at like humiliating people, and uh, and then the poor girl is like, 
yeah, can you help me, Machima-san? Like, yeah, I really suck at this. And, wait, no, no, I think it was Kiryu, but oh it, whatever. And then, yeah, I mean, yeah, you actually help help her out to become a better <laughs> and a meaner person. <laughs> and then you actually get to witness. Why am I not playing witness. this game? This this sounds like the Breath of the Wild of pimping simulators. Yeah. Like this, this sounds ridiculous. Oh, yeah. I'm so I'm so surprised that you have not played Yakuza because this is the game that just seems completely right up your alley. Um, I, I have been appropriately shamed. Yeah, you you should be ashamed of yourself, really. Um, yeah. But but Masa, just really quick before we you know digress to our main topic. Um, you know, one of the things that I've realized as I got an older is that I I will not suffer bad side quests. And to be honest, you know, I know we were talking and, and, and giving it a lot of acclaim. But one of the things that after now finishing Breath of the Wild, I really did not like most of the side quests. The side quests were pretty much throwaway. Yeah, I agree, um, yeah. And, and, that was, and that was really one of the aspects of it that I don't think anyone has called out. But it was really probably the weakest point of the entire game. Um, there was actually not much consequence to not doing the side quest whatsoever. Maybe there was a good one here and there, but they took a backseat to shrines and the like. So I've just realized that nowadays, if I don't like the side quest, I'm not going to do it. But I don't have that problem with Yakuza because Yakuza, the main line is very serious and played, you know, very straight. And then the side quests are just batshit bonkers yeah, exactly. crazy yeah <laughs> you know like you may be running around and all of a sudden you find you know you find a guy with a fucking clown <laughs> suit you know and he's asking you to do something it's it's really that batshit crazy you know so but yeah, anyways I mean, that's definitely like one of my favorite <laughs> things about like you said that yeah i mean i'm into japanese i mean japanese culture um and that that's something that you often see in like japanese games movies tv shows there's this like really weird mix of like very very like really fucking serious shit and then like the batshit crazy stuff and like really well it, it reminds me of metal gear yeah, solid I mean, like the, some of these games it reminds me of metal like, gear yeah, solid I mean, it yeah. goes from like yeah someone dies and you know something really tragic happens and then in this next scene it's just like a fucking comedy movie all of a sudden <laughs> and yeah i mean <laughs> yeah and what's funny about Yakuza, we haven't even talked about the fighting system at all. It's been like, we have talked, <laughs> talked about like fucking porn stars and side stories and, you know, playing old arcade games. That's all I need to know. But yeah. Fucking well, porn I mean, stars? I in mean. video games, <laughs> I've punched the guy in the face dozens of times. Hundreds, <laughs> thousands of times I've punched the guy in the face. But I've never groomed a porn yeah. star. <laughs> So that's kind of what I want to hear about right now. <laughs> you haven't been playing the right games, yeah. Paul. No, I haven't. Although, with that said, Arnie, maybe you can tell us what you've been playing. Yeah, so for me, it's 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 quick, it's simple, because um, Masa has decided to lock me into the padded cell of insanity yes. that is Trails of Cold Steel. Um, <laughs> so, and I will say, I, I, I'm really enjoying it. Like, I, it took a while, I've gotten into it, um, but this has to be, by far, the slowest burn in terms of an RPG story that I've ever played. Um, I'm about 30 hours in right now. I'm on the third chapter. The real main story has not even presented itself front and center yet. Um, <laughs> I'm still sort of learning stuff about the world and the characters and things like that in a very interesting way. Um, I don't want it to be misconstrued that I'm not enjoying myself, but it's, 
it's just such a slow build up. So, like it's it's um I've played some games that sort of take a while to get going, but this is on a whole nother level. So I'm really hoping that once <laughs> once it sort of gets going, it's it's really like a, a boulder sort of built going downhill after that, just building up speed because I'm ready to go. Yeah. Well, I don't care what you right. say. You've you've completely turned me away from from this. <laughs> <laughs> so there you yeah, go. Dude. But yeah, like, what? like honestly, unless there's a pimping simulator in there, I'm no longer interested. <laughs> but yeah, what I that's you know, like actually, the requirement that should, that now. That should be a. That should be a feature of every open world game nowadays. Absolutely. I mean, that I, I don't know. I would vote for that. <laughs> but yeah, what I would have Anyways. to say about... Can you imagine they make an open world Pokemon game and you're like... <laughs> and you're stars. pimping Pokemons? Oh, yeah. <laughs> here's, the, here's the Poke Cabaret that you'll get to run for three months. Uh, you know. Pokemon Black. You know? <laughs> Pokemon S. <laughs> XXX. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Pokemon Triple that's the X. One, there we that's go. the one everybody's wanted. <laughs> We're hitting a new low here. Yeah. That's great. Oh, oh man. I, I, I it only took us three episodes to get to the to get to the porn stars. So I call that that was that was really well timed. I think we held back for a while. But yeah, um, about trails of course here. Like one thing that I have to say is that um okay, I'm not gonna take credit for this quote, but like someone said online um that Okay, so most video games, they are kind of like movies, like they are very fast-paced and they, you know, the whole storytelling is very movie-like. But Trails of Cold Steel, however, it's a book. It's not a movie, it's a book. Because um, there's, and I'm quite sure, like, I think I've seen like the, basically like this, like the script for these games. And I mean, it's like thousands and thousands of page, pages, because there's like, Basically, like every side character, every NPC, like they have their own stories, which is already like really yeah. insane. And there's so much going on and so much history in in all of these places. And yeah, I mean, it's a very very slow burn. And like I remember when I was playing the game for the first time, I was I don't know, I made it to the I think I was in the third chapter or maybe the fourth one, and I was like, what's the point of this game? Like, like. <laughs> Yeah, there's like, is this like a... <laughs> but not in a philosophical way, just in yeah. general. Like, what the I'm fuck like, am I doing Is this like here? a school life simulator? <laughs> like, does this game not have a deeper plot at all? But then, like, when I made it to the end, I was like, holy crap, that was... What the fuck just happened? Like, I just have to get my hands on the sequel as soon as possible. And... Yeah, like I'm, I'm hoping like maybe you should take a break at some point because like I actually took a break in the middle of like maybe fourth or fifth chapter. Um, but the, the second yeah. game, I played it nonstop for like a month, and um, yeah, the second game is definitely better. Yeah, that and that's the thing. I mean, this is definitely not the first game to hide. It's it's the meat of the game past like a certain point where you have to sort of invest yourself in it in order to to really get the payoff. Um, but it's just such a wall. I mean, if if you don't immediately like fall in love with this game and are willing to put in the time, you're just not going to get anywhere. Yeah. Um, and just to give you an idea, it starts you off like a lot of this is another thing is a lot of RPGs. Um, sort of start you off with your character and you sort of meet and build a party along the way. This game opens and it's like, here's nine characters. Enjoy. Yeah, yeah. You know, with like, and then you sort of have to, you know, figure it out how the battle system works and like all this stuff, which is honestly like, 
it's it the more you put into it the more it gives back it does sort of become interesting and and uh engaging yeah but i mean that's that's one thing that's really crazy about like rpgs is that um even like a game like personal tree um like the, the uh first like 20 to 25 hours like not much actually happens yeah. When it comes to the main story. And a lot of RPGs are actually like that. Like, you have a 100-hour game, and then maybe, like, the... And it sounds insane that, like, let's say the first 20 to 30 hours that, you know, like, the main story doesn't even advance that much. Yeah, it's Because, like, many up. games, I mean, most games, I would say, like, if you take most, like, um, major titles, maybe the average length would be, like, I don't know, 10 to 20 hours. And then a lot mm. of these RPGs, like, they don't even get going until, like, you know, 20, 30 hours in. Yeah. Um, but that being said, I think it's time to move on to the main event. I think we've rambled enough collectively about <laughs> <laughs> all the stuff we've been playing. Um, yeah, I'd say so. Starting off proper, um, you know, as, as I said in the intro, this is going to be a discussion on not only RPGs, specifically RPG battle mechanics, but I think underlying that is definitely a brief sort of evolution on the RPG, on the turn-based RPG as a whole. Um, and to sort of set up this foundation, I think it's important that we get a sense of where everybody's coming from in terms of their experiences with RPG. So I wanted to start with just a general discussion of the first RPG that each of you played. What was your first sort of introduction into the RPG and what was positive or negative? What was your opinion on RPGs at the time? Um, I think I'm going to start with Paul this time. Oh boy. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm like you guys are aware, but obviously our <laughs> listeners aren't my favorite. The first one fantasy star on the master system it at the time i had never played an rpg i had no idea what i was getting into i still remember loading it up and i still remember the thought in my brain being which button do i use to punch <laughs> and it just it just wasn't happening yeah but i picked it up i, I picked it up fairly quickly um the battle system was typical of the 8-bit era. It was turn-based, so um, basically the way it was is you select your actions for each character, and then they all happen in whatever order, uh, based on presumably based on agility of the characters and the enemies. So sometimes yeah. the enemies... Um, actually, you know what? Now that I think about it, I don't think it happened like that. I think it was like the characters go and then the enemies go or, or something along those lines. Okay. It's been a few years since I played it, so I can't remember which order they happened in. But mm -hmm. regardless, it was turn-based. So you have one turn and then you have another turn and you just yeah. select the actions from there. Um, and yeah, man, after Fantasy Star, that was it. I was like, it wasn't even just like, I love RPGs. It was like, I love video games, period, after yeah. Fantasy Star. I'm like, this is this is gonna be my hobby <laughs> forever. And uh and it has been ever since. Like the game the game was perfect, it was charming, it got me at the right age at the right time. 
and I love it. It's my favorite. Yeah, and I think you you make a good point in that, you know, I think regardless of when you start playing your first RPG, 8-bit, 16-bit, you know, and beyond, the, like, RPGs are fundamentally so different from, I think, what most people's first experience with video games are. It's a much slower, much more methodical sort of game. I think it makes people think a little bit more. Um, it's not as, you know, sort of quick and springy as a platformer. It's not as sort of in your face as like a beat em up or an action adventure game um, where it's sort of all movement all the time. I think it's it's something that, that sort of challenges people's notions of what a video game is when they first experience it. Well, it kind of serves as, a, at least now that I hear you guys discussing it, it serves as a, as a way to identify what type of gamer you will be. Yeah. Um, if you're the type of gamer that wants quick, responsive action, then you're probably never, you know, that's the, the first experience with an RPG is probably going to completely turn you away from any other games like it. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like people that are more curious and more uh, patient with the systems, not only are they more into RPGs, but they're more into just video games in general. Mm -hmm. um, you know, whereas maybe the people that, you know, played games casually back in the day when they played the Nintendo, played the Super Nintendo, you know, maybe they played on RPG, but, uh, you know, for the most part, maybe those are the people that kind of left video games altogether after a certain point in time. I, I, I think that it was only with Final Fantasy VII that that line kind of became yep. a lot more blurred. Yeah. Um, because people were just so engrossed in the story um, and it was so cinematic. Um, but before that, I would say kind of RPGs were the divergent point for gamers in a way. Um, so I don't know. That's my theory, at least. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree <clears throat> with you to a certain extent. And since you're already talking, Ozzy, why don't you tell us what your first RPG experience was? Well, I, I'm actually struggling to think about it because I, you know, ever since we've been planning this episode, I've just kind of been wondering, well, what, what the hell was my first experience? <laughs> um, and really, I, as I mentioned in the first episode, I really did not have any experience with RPGs um, before I came to this country um, 18 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, so because, you know, in Cuba, you're not going to put any time into a, a game that requires you to read English because no one really new English. I mean, that's, uh, you know, even with the fall of the Berlin Wall, we still weren't learning English in school. So um, <laughs> put that on the bingo card, Berlin Wall reference. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> I had to get it in. Uh, but in any case, so I, I don't think I really, if you want to call Link's Awakening an RPG, maybe, but I wouldn't call it an RPG. Um, so I think really it was Parasite Eve, the one that I f first recall just looking at it, playing it, and wondering, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. You know, I, I had just come into that game after playing Resident Evil 2, okay. and that's what I was kind of expecting. And when I played it, I mean, I was really, really into the world, but I just could not get... And at this point, I was still trying to learn English, mm -hmm. so I didn't know English. So I was just like, screw this. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I don't know what the hell is going on with this. <laughs> um, you know, because the idea of having to wait in order to be able to shoot you know, or be able to take actions just felt so weird and odd to me. And even though I was moving around, um, it just didn't feel that way. And like maybe two, three weeks after that, after I played Parasite Eve, I played the Final Fantasy VIII demo, um, which, I mean, that demo was so beautiful. I mean, it starts with uh, Liberi Fatali, which is one of the greatest Final Fantasy tracks ever. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, the battle theme in, in, in Final Fantasy VIII is just one of the best 
Um, not as great as Final Fantasy VII's battle theme, but one of the best. Um, and that's when I started kind of getting, okay, well, this is what you have to do. You just kind of have to wait your turn. It's kind of like chess. You know, you have their move, they have their move, I have my moves, you know, and pretty much you kind of, you know, what I was doing at the time was just bashing attack, you know, over and over and over again, you know, until yeah. I could actually, you know, attack. Um, so it wasn't until much later that I actually kind of gave RPGs the light of day. And it wasn't until actually many, many years later um, that I played Suikoden. And Suikoden was actually the first RPG I ever beat. Uh, right. Because it was just, you know, everyone loves Suikoden 2. I actually, you know, Suikoden 1 for me was just the perfect length. It was just the perfect size. And it mm -hmm. was a perfect introduction to an RPG. And there were so many characters. And it, it just kept you engaged throughout. So it wasn't until many years later that I actually gave RPGs a lot of day. And now, you know, I try to keep up with them. Um, <laughs> I, I probably lean more towards the American RPG, computer RPG style. Yeah. Um, but I do have a soft spot for the JRPG uh, style of games. So, yeah, that's basically my experience in a nutshell. All right. And what about you, Masa? Well, let me tell you a little bit, a little something about the Soviet Finland <laughs> and how um, <laughs> my very um, RPG-less um, childhood. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> Okay, so most most RPGs, of course, are Japanese, and um, it has always been. Mm -hmm. I think since the eighties has been the most popular genre of video games in Japan. So I mean, naturally, most games, uh, most <coughs> most RPGs are Japanese, and then a lot of those games actually made it to the US. And well, like let's say I'm I'm just throwing a number out. Like let's say thirty percent of the, those games, or maybe twenty. Um, so you guys got to play a lot of like great RPGs. But um, not many of those games actually made it to Europe. And to make things even worse, um, even less of those games actually made it to Finland. So I didn't even know much about RPGs until... Um, I would say there were two games that were um, like finally like so mainstream that they actually they were even like big games in Finland. But before that, um, mm -hmm. a lot of these like Super Nintendo crates, for example, like, like, I never even had a chance to play them. Um, not that it would have mattered, because, like, when I was, you know, in my early teens, I don't think my English would have been, you know, good enough to actually, like, play RPGs. <laughs> but then, finally, <laughs> Pokemon Blue and Pokemon Red and Blue came out, and... Um, mm -hmm. But that's something that I didn't even think about it um, as an RPG. Like, I, I was like... Because, um, for some reason, for the longest time... I kind of hated like turn-based games, um, which is kind of funny because I'm there with you, buddy. I'm, I'm there yeah. with you. You have your support group here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but like I never even like. No, you don't. I support none of this. <laughs> <laughs> Civil War. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, for the longest time, I didn't even like, um, like when I don't like when I was thinking about like the first RPG I've ever played. Um, I was like, yeah, what was it? But then I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, there was Pokemon Blue. Yeah, I mean, of course. Um, but it didn't actually make me an RPG fan. I was still like, mm -hmm. I don't know, because it's kind of like an RPG in disguise. Even if it's, I mean, it, it's a legit RPG. It's a legit turn-based RPG. But I don't know, you kind of, I don't know. Pokemon is like one of those games that, that's like so mainstream that there's, um, like, it's it kind of like broke out of that like JRPG, you know, niche. 
and like nowadays yeah. a lot of people you know who don't play any rpgs at all are you know might still be like huge pokemon fans yeah i completely agreed i mean pokemon is definitely an rpg yeah. um it's but i think people don't necessarily regard it as an rpg i think people see pokemon yeah, as pokemon. exactly um and i think part of pokemon's appeal you know in terms of breaking out as sort of a mainstream rpg was the the collectible nature of yeah. it i mean the fact that it sort of emphasized not only collecting the monsters in your game but also linking up with a friend and trading monsters to have a complete set of pokemon um i think was one of the things that really made it stand out as you know something more than just the regular rpg or what people would call an rpg at the time yeah and like i mean i have the my box pokemon blue in front of me and even the the cover it's like it says like it's pokemon gotta catch them all like that catch phrase is already like on the cover yeah absolutely oh, yeah. um and so, Ari, what's what's your first experience so despite not living in Finland, <laughs> um <laughs> Little Arnie decided to not play any RPGs during what could, I think, arguably be called the golden era of RPGs. Um, so my, if I want to be completely honest with our listeners, my first RPG experience was also Pokemon Blue on the purple Game Boy my Color man. that I got. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I played the crap out of it. Um I, I love that game, um, but much like I think much like Masa, that was not the game that made me sort of appreciate RPGs and want to seek them out and play them. Um, because to me, Pokemon was just Pokemon. Like, there's nothing like Pokemon, and Pokemon is its own unique experience. Um, so the the RPG that that made me sort of you know, the RPG player that I am today has to definitely be Legend of Dragoon um, on the PS1. So much like Ozzy, I did not really play or get into RPGs until the the 32-bit era of gaming. Sorry, Paul. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I still remember the day we went to Toys R Us and behind like some plastic cabinet, um, there were two games I was looking at. One was Final Fantasy Tactics and the other was Legend of Dragoon. Um, and my mom tried so hard to convince me not to get Legend of Dragoon because it was rated T for Teen, and I was not the, <laughs> the required 13 years of age to be playing that game. But I, I put my foot down and I said, no. You were um, a rebel. <laughs> yes. I, <laughs> I, um, I bought Legend of Dragoon, which, by the way, also amazed me when I first opened it because I was like, wow, this... You know, when I had played other PS1 games and they all came in these like jewel case, like CD cases, but Legend of Dragoon was one of the ones that was double, double thick. Um, yeah. And so I think that also caught my eye. And when I opened it up and I saw four discs in there, I was like, what the hell? Like, is this four different games? Like, um, <laughs> because the concept of like switching discs was not, I'd never done that before. So when I, the first time I ever got to the point where it was like, please insert disc two, I was like, do, right. I, do I turn this <laughs> off and then put this two in? Do I open it? Like I thought I was gonna break my PS One if I opened it with the with it still on. That that happened to me with Metal Gear Solid, the first one. Yeah, that, that actually. So I I completely empathize with you. It was such a foreign concept to me. I did not understand what witchcraft allowed me to sort of open my PS One and switch discs mid game. Um, but that game was just 
so it was such a revelation to me, even at the age, I think I might've been 11 um, when I first played it, even at that age, 11 or 12, um, it was, you know, it was unlike anything I'd ever played before. And I became so engrossed in just the characters and the story. Um, it also featured dragons pretty heavily, which I was into at the time. So, you know, uh, that was probably a big part of it as well. Well, well Arnie, this was a post-Jurassic Park world, so <laughs> yeah. every kid your age would have been interested in dragons. But that before um, die was ninjas. So, yeah, exactly. Yes. That is that is actually true. Um, Imagine Legend of Dragons, you know, with ninjas instead. I mean, that would be interesting. Yeah. Um, and, and and part of it, and I will say to, to Ozzy's point, I think one of the things that about Legend of Dragoon that made me really enjoy it, um, specifically relating to the battle system, was that if I recall correctly, Legend of Dragoon is one of these games that doesn't really lean too heavily on a lot of choice. So I don't believe there's magic unless you become a Dragoon, which happens later in the game. So it really is just like attack item and that's a run or defend and that's it. And I think that was really helpful because if there had been more to it, I probably I was I was like X, 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 like that's just attack all the time. Like, why would I ever not attack people? Um, so if there was anything more to it than that, it probably would have been lost on me and I probably would have gotten really frustrated. By the way, before we move on, the... um, mm -hmm. since I had a very, very rough childhood without all these great PlayStation <laughs> 1 era RPGs, um, <laughs> like if there are any like, um, generous listeners, feel, feel free to send me some, um, PS1 RPGs, <laughs> <laughs> like the US exclusives that I never got to play. <laughs> Let's open a, a GoFundMe Masa's RPG experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, make make Masa RPG yeah. literate. You know? Make make yeah, Masa take great pity again. On this man from the, uh, take pity on this man from the third world country. I mean, I think that pretty much covers the the foundation I wanted to to establish. So we at least we all know where each of us is coming from, um, from that perspective, where we started, and how we were first introduced. I think is really important because RPGs did not evolve linearly. They sort of took very divergent paths. So knowing what somebody's first RPG was like is almost like like knowing where you were born, kind of in terms of the kinds of systems you grew up with, the kinds of RPGs that you played, um, because there's a very big difference between battle mechanics in Fantasy Star as compared to Parasite Eve or Legend of Dragoon or even Pokemon to a certain extent. Um, oh, yeah. And I did I did want to, uh, you know, I think now the what we're going to move on to, I just want to have a, a bit of a discussion of sort of the evolution of, of turn-based battle systems, starting obviously with the 8-bit era, which I think is the era that most of our listeners um, would be familiar with as a starting point for RPGs. I did want to, before we go into it, put up a little disclaimer here so I don't get yelled at later. Um, this episode, I think, um, I don't know where, where you guys are coming from, but at least from my point, um, is going to be very JRPG heavy and just very Japan-focused. Um, but I do want to acknowledge that 
you know, the a lot of the origins of the RPG genre is traced back to Western RPGs. Uh, things like Ultima, Wizardry, PC um, RPGs from before the time of, you know, the Famicom. Um, and I just want to acknowledge that despite the fact that we're going to be focusing, I think, mostly on Japanese RPGs or Japanese developed RPGs, um, Western RPGs are also a very important touchstone in the development of what is the modern RPG. Well, I, I mean, I really, you know, this is kind of explicit. Um, Wizardry was extremely popular in Japan yes. um, in the early 80s. And Yuhi Hori, um, who is the, you know, designer of Dragon Quest, you know, he admitted that he wanted to make Wizardry, um, you know, for the Famicom and more accessible in a way. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, there's a direct lineage between games like Wizardry, which, disclaimer, I have never played. Yeah, um, me too. <laughs> you know, and, and Dragon Quest. But I do think Dragon Quest was kind of the evolution of the RPG because it made it so much more accessible. It, it kind of distilled it into a menu system and it kind of gave us the language that we know RPGs for nowadays. Um, you know, the turn-based system was there, but it really gave us uh, the interface and the tools to be able to you know, work within the battle mechanics and work within the systems itself. So um, I think Dragon Quest was really the turning point in what we call kind of point zero of the JRPG. And yes, I'm coming at it from a JRPG perspective also. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I, I can say that I did play Wizardry. Uh, it was it was actually on the NES and yeah. I remember playing it at the time. The one thing I can say about Wizardry and why it perhaps wasn't popular then <laughs> That game was that game was cruel and it yeah, was yeah that game punishing. was balls hard yeah like it was it was brutal and as a kid I didn't mind because obviously you have infinite time mm-hmm. but nowadays oh boy that'd be a tough sell like there's no it's how do I explain it when you die you die that's it <laughs> yeah like it's almost like it's almost like a roguelike right yeah you you're tiptoeing through these dungeons and you're super super careful because if you mess up you're dead and you start over from the beginning. Um, so I'm not too surprised that it wasn't popular and then Dragon Quest came along and that's kind of what started tilting the scales uh, towards the large adoption of the RPG in Japan. Well, it's interesting because the way that games tend to evolve is that something comes before it and you have the hardcore gamers saying, yeah, this is the way it's supposed to be done. Um, and then something else comes along, streamlines and they say, well, no, this is too limited. But you know that limitation is just a streamlining and and it really that's what i think dragon quest did and juhi hori has been very explicit that he wanted to make a game for casual gamers for example if you were unable to beat a boss you could just grind and eventually you will get over it um so it, it really made it accessible and by way of that it eventually it, it ended up introducing kind of the mechanics of rpgs that would follow for the next three decades yeah Absolutely. And so speaking of Dragon Quest, I think, you know, it's it's I think that's the obvious starting point. Um, But I did uh, as far as our 8-bit era discussion, um, I wanted to touch more on the what I what I personally think is the the sort of cornerstone of NES RPGs in terms of bringing more attention to the RPG genre itself. Um, which I think is the original Final Fantasy. Um, you know, I think everybody here uh, 
knows about Final Fantasy in one way or another. Um, but I think the original Final Fantasy is one of these games that a lot of people have heard of. Not many people have, have sort of delved into only because there's such a long lineage of, of Final Fantasy games that it's sort of hard to go back that far. But I did, I did want to touch on it. Um, I, have, have any of you played the original Final Fantasy? No. Yeah, that, that would be me. I, I don't think the rest of you have just based on your, your origin stories. But um, yeah, I played it. It was, it was good. Like the problem for me personally is that I played it after Fantasy Star. Okay. And as far as 8-bit RPGs go, nothing, it's not even that nothing could touch it. Like nothing, nothing was even allowed to enter the same room as Fantasy Star. And I know that's like partly my bias, but even just visually, if you look at the RPGs of that era, Fantasy Star is head and shoulders above the rest. With that said, they all have in common that it's all turn-based, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it's not, I'm not saying that I didn't enjoy Final Fantasy. I remember borrowing it from a friend it wasn't just borrowing, by the way. Like, I friggin' begged, <laughs> begged to borrow it. Like, he got Final Fantasy, I don't know, for his birthday or Christmas or something. And I was like, please, 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 let me borrow it, let me borrow it, let me borrow it. And he finally relented, which was significant because there's only one save slot on mm -hmm. Final Fantasy. Yeah. Um. So, you know, he was, he was A, a really good friend, and B, I was extremely pushy. God, I must have <laughs> been so annoying as a kid. Um. But it was it was it was amazing. Like I beat it in I think like three days. I played it all day every oh, day. Wow. Um, yeah, obviously eight bit RPGs weren't as long then as they are now. Yeah. Um, a game like Dragon Dragon Warrior, we'll just call it Dragon Warrior for now. Um, you know, you could beat that in in a reasonable length. Even Fantasy Star. Like as a kid, Fantasy Star took me months to beat. But a playthrough is only like between 10 and 20 hours nowadays if you know what you're doing and where you're going. Yeah. Um, but the the bottom line is that it's it's all turn-based. Every RPG I played back then, all mm. turn-based. Dragon Warrior well, the, 2, you know, it, it the list goes on. Well, the interesting part about Final Fantasy also is that it, it came so late for U.S. gamers. Um, it was released in 1987. Um, and it only came out in the U.S. in 1990. Mm -hmm. So it's almost as if the awakening for Western, uh, you know, kids was much later than the awakening, you know, the RPG awakening for Japanese players. And I, you know, before that Dragon Quest had come out and I know Nintendo had put a big bag and they had even published it um, and it had flopped. Um, but it, 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 you know, Final Fantasy, I can't recall how well it did here, but it, it almost feels like after that, it was a barrage of new Final Fantasy. And I think from Final Fantasy 1, then it just jumped into Final Fantasy 4, which came out as Final Fantasy 2 over here. And and it was, again, as Paul said, very much traditional. Final Fantasy 1 was very much traditional. It was light in the way of story. Um, and the battle system was just very much, you know, bare bones, turn-based, you know, different um, abilities and the like. But... Um, it, it was a series that also reinvented itself. With Final Fantasy II, it was a completely different system. Um, probably the reason why that one is not so popular. Um, and Final Fantasy III, I can't speak much about, but that's the one that introduced the job system in Final yeah. Fantasy. So, um, But it, it, it was very much something very different for kids at the time. And it, it took a while for RPGs to kind of latch on into the Western, you know, childhood mentality. Yeah. And, and I will say, speaking I will, to... Um... Go ahead, Paul. 
I was going to say, Ozzy, uh, I, I will correct you for a second. In Final Fantasy 1, you actually could pick classes. Um, I don't know if you'd call it a job system per se, but I played Final Fantasy 1 multiple times, and <clears throat> the reason that I played it all the way through multiple times was because, you know, sometimes you wanted to play a game through and you wanted a four-fighter party or a four-black mm -hmm. mage party or, or what have you, right? Uh, again, back then as kids, you know, we had all day long, so... It, you have the patience to do that kind of thing. Yeah. But uh, that was one notable thing about the first Final Fantasy, definitely. You could pick classes. Yeah. Um, and I will say, uh, sort of to Paul's point, I've dabbled in both Final Fantasy and Fantasy Star. Um, I, I, I would have to agree with Paul just based on what I've played of both. I think that Fantasy Star was not only the more ambitious game um, for the time, but also the the more interesting and mechanically sort of uh, engaging RPG uh, between the two. I think Final Fantasy came around at a time uh, that was just right for it, especially in the US. Um, and it sort of it sort of was the foundation for the popularity of RPGs going forward, obviously much slower um, in the 8-bit era than we'll see in the 16-bit era. Um, if I had to pick one aspect of Final Fantasy, though, that I think sort of propelled it forward, I'd have to say it probably is the introduction of the party system and the ability to pick classes. Because thinking back even to a year before when, when Dragon Quest slash Dragon Warrior came out, it was your single character. It was sort of a first-person view, um, and you were the only character. If I'm remembering correctly, you are the only character you're controlling. But Final Fantasy, through the four uh four-person party system just gives you so much more to do in terms of combat and in terms of just mixing up different playthroughs it makes it a much deeper a much richer game um than the ones that came before it i did have one note that i had no idea um and i didn't know if you guys knew but from what i can tell final fantasy originally released in japan in december 18th of 1987 and final and fantasy star came out December 20th, 1987. So December 1987 in Japan was like probably in terms of RPGs, the most significant month of all time in terms of just the foundation. Oh, dude, best Christmas ever. Yeah, the two biggest 8-bit RPGs coming out two days apart. It's insane to me. Well, Dragon Quest would like a word with that. <laughs> yeah, well, I will say well. Dragon Quest they they had the they had the advantage of coming out in 1986, and so I think that a lot of Final Fantasy and Fantasy Star's advantages were building upon what Dragon Quest sort of sort of established. Um, yeah, but, yeah, absolutely. But, and but I think there was Dragon Warrior in the West, like it couldn't even it couldn't hold a candle. Like I. They released. When did they release Dragon Warrior in the U.S.? Was it like '88 or something? It they must waited have been, two freaking years to yeah, release that I game. Think it was '88. It really suffered for that. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, Final Fantasy came out, you know, two years after that in '90, um, and Fantasy Star actually came out in '88 in the U.S. as well. Um, yeah. I think that Fantasy Star just suffered from being on the Master System. To be completely honest, I think. Oh if, yeah. If Fantasy Star 100%. had been on the NES, I think it would be a much more at least in the in the public in the public consciousness it would be much more relevant than it is right now
Well, but that was pretty much uh, the turn-based system was pretty much the style in the eight-bit era. Um, uh, we see it with Fantasy Star, we see it with Dragon Quest, Dragon Warrior, um, and with Final Fantasy. But it really took until the 16-bit era to really see a revolution of that, and that revolution was with the active time battle system that Final Fantasy IV introduced. Yeah. Um, and the active time battle system. Basically, just to give a quick explanation, you have a meter um, and it fills up and depending upon your character stats, it can fill up quicker or slower and your enemies also have a meter. So whenever the meter fills up, you can actually take uh, the action that you need to take. So in between filling up those meters, you're kind of planning your moves. So it's kind of very dynamic and the way that um, the Final Fantasy creators like Sagaguchi uh, likened it was kind of like to a race car and kind of racing as to who's going to be, you know, making the move first um and so final fantasy 4 was really revolutionary in that sense and to me at least it was not only the opening salvo in the 16-bit era of rpgs but it also opened the floodgates for a bunch of different systems in terms of battle mechanics to really proliferate um and to kind of sort of have an arms race of sorts between developers as to who could make their battle system as in-depth and as uh, complex as possible um, because at the heart of it you want to in RPG retain the sense of strategy and the sense of structure but you also want to make it exciting and and that's kind of what I think developers and designers were trying to cope with okay if this is turn-based how can we make it more engaging so that the player still has to strategize but that he also feels like he's having more input and that there are things happening while he's waiting for his turn and I think Active Time Battle was kind of the opening shot for that. But then after this, we kind of start seeing other games like Secret of Mana, Chrono Trigger and the like, um, just going down a more action route, um, even though some of them still retain very much their turn-based um, nature. Um, but perhaps, Paul, you can tell us a little bit more about Final Fantasy IV, because if I recall correctly, you're a big fan of Final Fantasy IV. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's my favorite Final Fantasy game. And frankly, playing that game was like having a bomb dropped on me like that battle system was revo fucking lucianary at the time. Like to put it in perspective, I actually it's funny. I not even on purpose. I, I don't even remember at the time, but you have the option of, you know what? I can't remember if in Final Fantasy uh, four you could do this or not. But in later Final Fantasies, you have the option of actually having that meter visible or invisible. So you don't know exactly when your characters are going to go. And through accident or on purpose, I don't remember now, I never had the meter visible. So when I'm playing Final Fantasy IV as a kid and waiting for my characters to go, it's a surprise. Like when they go, it's like there's no planning. It's just like, oh, shit, it's time to go. Yeah. And what this does is it makes it makes every battle i'm not going to say makes every battle exciting because i mean it is a jrpg right there's mm -hmm. grinding and it's not always so engaging but it certainly made the boss fights exciting and in fact there was one boss fight where i think it's in you know somebody will have to correct me if i'm wrong here but it's right after ridia returns which, by the way, is another bomb dropping. Like, it's like, oh my god, Rydia's back! This is awesome! And she comes back and she can summon, and it's like, holy shit! And it was shortly after she returned that you fight against a wall. Mm -hmm. And the, the point of the battle is that the wall slowly gets closer and closer to you, and 
as it gets closer, you know, you die, right? Yeah. And so because of the active time battle, it creates this tension between I got to hurry the fuck up and kill this wall or the wall's going to squish me. And like there was nothing else like it at the time. It was it was absolutely revolutionary. Yeah. And I mean, I know we're talking about battle systems here, but shit, man, Final Fantasy four, like if the battle, even if the battle system wasn't there, that would have been a superlative RPG just story-wise, character development. There was nothing else like it at the time. And then you throw in the active time battle. My God, that game was incredible. Yeah. Well, it was almost... Go go ahead, Arnie. Oh, I I was just going to say, I think what the active time battle system did in terms of of just revolutionizing the the turn-based sort of structure was that it made... I think when you when you say it made the battles exciting and you sort of corrected yourself, like, not necessarily, I think I think it, what it really did is it made battles unpredictable. It wasn't just, I'm going to spawn in, hit this attack three yes. times, battle's done. It's sort of like, Very who's going to go when? When does this enemy go? You know, if I get my turn and I don't act fast enough, I, they can get an extra hit on me. Um, so I think what it really did is just make everything so much more unpredictable where it it never allowed you to sort of walk sleepwalk through it you always had to kind of be on your toes and this is where i place my disclaimer i i i'm not a huge fan of the active time battle system um and the reason why (laughs) i know i know i know please please don't kill so many fights are gonna Uh, start (laughs) um and the reason why and 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 let me just be clear it's just a personal preference i i get too stressed out with the active time battle system i could see that because i i I, you know my meter is filling up and it's so slowly and then you know the enemy's meter is filling up faster and i'm like God, you know, and I'm also trying to dig through the menu system and trying to figure out what the strategy is. So I, I end up, you know, messing up and it's just too stressful for me, honestly. I mean, I, I, you know, nowadays I don't care. I play it, you know, but when I was a kid and I was playing, let's say Final Fantasy VIII, uh, because I played eight before seven um, and seven is really the Final Fantasy that I really got, you know, really deep into. Um, but playing Final Fantasy VIII and I was just like managing three party members and managing the meter and trying to decide, you know, who, you know, what to do, what actions to take, what summon, this or that, or whether to, you know, go into the menu if I have to use an item. It just, it was very stressful for me. And and I imagine that other kids must have felt that way. It, it, it just has to be the case. Um, but I, I do think that it was revolutionary and it actually made it so much more engaging. And that element of stress as Paul just mentioned, it, it added tension to the mechanics. It It's not just, just you're just sitting there and, you know, you could go have a sandwich, come back, and the monster's still going to be there flapping his wing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, <laughs> it's 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 something that it forces you to be engaged with the system. And, and, and that's really, I think, an achievement in and of itself um, for RPG mechanics. And I think really is what started the revolution towards more action-oriented RPGs. Yeah. yeah, I would agree. And, and I, I think um, the- yeah, sorry. Um, like, even as an adult, I feel like you, Ozzy, when you played, you know, Final Fantasy IV back in the day. Because uh, <laughs> I actually played it uh, for the first time. Okay, so I only played played for um, a few hours on PSP. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, and that was, like, kind of like my first, like, old school, um, old school Final Fantasy game. And... I honestly, like, before I started playing, I thought that they all, all were, like, completely turn-based. And I started mm-hmm. I started playing the game, and then I'm like, wait, what? Like, what is going on? Like, there's this timer? Like, what? And, yeah, I mean, it, it made the <laughs> yeah. game a lot more stressful to me. And um, But, yeah, I mean, but I'm not completely against um, the active time battle system. It does work in some games, but... Um, 
it kind of turned me off um, when it comes to uh, Final Fantasy IV, but it's definitely a game that I should give another chance. Well, um, and I think if I if I may just throw this in, I think Final Fantasy IV and then Final Fantasy VI, and if you were in the US, two and three, um, those two games were pretty much the pinnacle, you know, of that turn-based active time battle uh, mechanic. But I, I will go, you know, on the record as saying that Chrono Trigger has the best RPG battle system ever made. Um, and <laughs> no, I, and I know, and, right? and I can I, I can I can dispute that tit for tat. Uh, it, it's the perfect midway point between a turn-based RPG and an action RPG. So you still have your menu, you still have your attacks, you still have your magic, um, but you know you can one first of all, which is what I freaking love about this game, and it became more of a standard after this game. You can see your enemy before you fight them. So random encounters. That's that's just gone, you know. Which yeah, was my God. most hated. I hate I hate yeah. random <laughs> encounters. I it's the bane of my RPG existence. I and 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 if you guys don't agree, I mean, fine. I, there have to be people that love random encounters. I fucking hate them. Um, and it was one of the big reasons why I actually got turned off from RPGs. Um, so if you don't want to fight an enemy, just avoid it. You know. So yeah, that's the first thing. Second thing. The battle, uh, the battle scenario is the same as the real, you know, the, the the exploring scenario. So in typical RPGs, you go into a random encounter, uh, and then you go into this completely different screen, a different battle scenario. Chrono Trigger is not like that. So you still fight on the same place and same battlefield as you've been walking through, mm-hmm. and you're also able to move, you know, to position yourself. And that's really the brilliant part about Chrono Trigger and its battle system is that positioning and location becomes so critical. Mm -hmm. Um, Wherever you position yourself is not only for defense, but also let's say that you have three enemies. If you line them up in a row and you target the last enemy, you're going to hit all those three enemies. Um, If you have a magic spell and you get in the middle of, let's say, four enemies and they're all around you and they're within your your zone of of contact, you're going to hit them all. So positioning becomes very important. So it becomes even more strategic, and I would say even more than traditional RPGs. And the battlefield becomes kind of a a mechanic in and of itself, whereas before the battlefield was really unimportant. I mean, in in Dragon Quest, if I recall correctly, it was just a black screen. (laughs) So so (laughs) it, it, it really gained an added sense of it was just another layer. And I think it just hit that sweet spot of just being complex enough, being dynamic enough, while still retaining all the strategy. So yeah, I I, I really do wholeheartedly believe that Chrono Trigger has the best battle system in a turn-based RPG ever. And and I, I'm I must not be wrong because I am Setsuna and Lost Fear are still trying to recapture that. So uh, those are very <laughs> recent RPGs. So I don't know if any of you guys have played those, but yeah, it's Chrono Trigger. Um, so I, I, I yeah I think that is probably RPG perfection. I I will say while I do not necessarily agree with with everything you you said, um, there is one thing that I do think that Chrono Trigger's battle system does a lot better than any other sixteen bit RPG, and it and it sort of ties back to Final Fantasy two and three in a way because I think Final Fantasy two and three also introduced 
the aspect of having too many characters to fit in one party and sort of adding the extra layer of which characters am I going to use when. Um, so mixing and yeah, matching and the leveling characters up. Yeah. always became very important. And, you know, it added the extra annoyance of sometimes having to keep your characters leveled up because games would sometimes force you to use a set number of characters or a set group of characters. Um, but what I think Chrono Trigger did really well is sort of incentivize players to use all of their characters with all their other characters by um, doing the, the I think they're called techs, is that right? Or the combo attacks. Because each character you have can combo with a different character for different attacks. Um, and I remember seeing that and being blown away that I could team up literally any of my characters to do something completely different. I, I tell you, I, I think it's absolutely brilliant, and there, it's there's a reason why it's still kind of held up um, in such high regard today. I mean, it was included in the, it wasn't included in the SNES uh, mini, and I think that was just complete blasphemy. I mean, I, I don't Travesty. know how they could have missed Travesty. that <laughs> because I, I think, you know, I mean, it's right up there with Final Fantasy VI in terms of the best RPG of the 32-bit era. I think that's uh, what it was. I think, yeah. I think they sort of had to weigh Final Fantasy VI versus Chrono Trigger, and they picked one over the other, which I, I agree with you. I don't think should have been the case. I think they should have put both of them in yeah. there. They, they were incorrect. If you're going to pick one, you pick Chrono Trigger. And even as someone who adores Final Fantasy IV... You still have to pick Chrono Trigger. Even even I'll admit that. Yeah. And just to add something else, I actually because Arnie, you uh, you mentioned the extra characters. Mm. Um, I actually found that Final Fantasy VI suffered for that. Yeah. It had, unless I'm mistaken, it had like 16 different characters or something like that. Yeah, it's a lot. And it's 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 just too much. Like story wise, you're really kind of shortchanging a bunch of them. It's just I, I would much rather have more fleshed out story for fewer characters than this sprawling epic with tons of different characters at mm -hmm. least in the 16-bit era yeah. I, I don't think that the storytelling and graphic presentation was at a level that could accommodate such ambition yeah. so and it's good that they scaled that back with chrono trigger because chrono trigger is basically perfect yeah, great. yeah well, <laughs> and i and i do think that part of part of that is them opting to not do um if i'm not mistaken them opting not to really integrate a a, a class system in final fantasy 6 so i think each character was sort of meant to fill a specific role um and i think they sort of went back and fixed that um by you know integrating more of an actual job system where you any character can sort of take on any role and i think that helped them sort of trim down on the excess of characters to a certain mm -hmm. extent <laughs> but yeah about body members uh, like, uh one thing that i feel like has definitely gotten better in in these modern rpgs is that um nowadays you often um even even the uh, body members who aren't like in, in the combat um aren't participating even they gain you know experience points uh, and yeah, also like that is for example true. in trails of cold steel um like yeah you have these field trips where um your group gets you know split in half and but it doesn't mean that the group that isn't like participating like i mean they level up as well at the same time and because yeah. there's one thing that really shocked me when i started playing earthbound a few years ago um i was like yes i got a new party member what they are level one 
like what the hell? <laughs> I'm level twenty and they're level one, level one, and then I have you know I'm gonna have to grind just to get like, um, you know the new party member to you know some appropriate level where they aren't a burden anymore, and it's just yeah. so tiring because yeah, I mean they keep dying over and over again. Yeah. Well, there's there's no greater I, I think sin in RPGs than forcing you to play as a character that you have ignored the whole yeah, game, yeah, absolutely. and you know having to play with that character in order to progress the story. I, you know, those are the points usually where I'm just like, okay, well, you know, that's it. I'm done with this game. <laughs> so, Dude, that's, uh, that very thing happened to me. Like it was, I, th- I can't remember which Dragon Quest it was, but it was on the it was on the PlayStation One. Mm. I'm just gonna say Dragon Quest Six. I'll throw a number out there because it I must feel have like been seven. To. It must have. It has seven. to be seven. It has to be seven. Okay, sure, it was seven. Um, and I was, I think I was like 40 hours through the game or something. And I had a party and the party was clicking. I was having a lot of fun. I'd kind of balanced everything the way I wanted it. And then bam, suddenly through the story, I could no longer use some of these characters and I had to use other ones who were weaker. And I had, and I was like, all right, I'm good. I'm moving on. (laughs) Well, and I do have two quick things that I want to address. First of all, to Ozzy, um, I will say one thing about Final Fantasy VI over Chrono Trigger is that you cannot German suplex a train in Chrono Trigger, but you can in Final Fantasy VI. Good point. Good point. (laughs) Oh, that's that's a good point. But can you time travel? No. That is touche. (laughs) End of of argument. (laughs) The other thing is that Masa said the E word. um, So I think that we're contractually obligated to now talk about Earthbound. (laughs) <laughs> uh, or otherwise face terrible consequences. Um, but before we do that, I did want to touch on one other thing about Chrono Trigger that I think, in my opinion, is makes it such a, a, a great RPG, even, you know, uh, on top of all the other things it does right. Chrono Trigger, I think, was the, was the first RPG, at least to my memory, that really delved into the aspect of making choices. Um... I think it says a lot about a game when your main character, spoiler alert, your main character can die and you can choose not to revive him. Like in the story, he can die and there's an optional quest to go bring him back to life or you can just finish the game without him and get a completely different ending. That blew my mind. I was like, you know, because any other RPG would have forced you like... This is the path that the story goes down. Like now, of course, you need to have your main character because who's the hero of the story if not the person we've been following this whole time? By the yep. way, um, does anyone know with, uh, what RPG was the one with like multiple endings? Because I mean, that was one of the biggest things about Chrono Trigger. Was I mean, that game has yeah, I mean, God knows how many nine different endings. endings. It's about nine, yeah. I think. And it, and it's I, I don't. I don't know if there were any before this. I don't know what other games had different endings. RPGs had different yeah, endings. But yeah, isn't that At like the first one I remember? Insane how RPGs like are like even nowadays are known for multiple endings, but also like the new game mm-hmm. plus option. And a lot of these games are already like very long, and and yeah. then you kind of have to play them again. So it's. I mean, yeah. I mean, you definitely get your money's worth, but it's it's a bit insane. Like. Like, honestly, um, I actually played Chrono Trigger for the first time. Um, I think it was like two or three years ago, played on, on the DS. 
Um, mm. And I only man- went for the main ending. And then I was like, yeah, well, maybe I'm gonna come back and, you know, do a few more of those. But yeah, yeah but I never actually like got back to it. And well, I mean, I guess I would have done it like if I had played the game back in the day. But I mean, well, I mean, I just, you know, ranted about my very <laughs> sad RPG history. Yeah. <laughs> but like nowadays, <laughs> I think yeah, I, I th- mean, I I don't yeah, I don't usually like go for like different endings when I play RPGs nowadays. How about you guys? Yeah, I I do very rarely. I think one thing I will say about Chrono Trigger's endings, if you really do want to go for them, is like if you do the main story ending where you go all the way to the end. Once you do New Game Plus, you start at the level that you're currently at when you ended your game. And with the time travel mechanic, it makes it a lot easier to get the different endings. Because you don't have to do everything all over again. You just have to change certain things. Um, Like, for example, I think one of the endings is, you know, very early on in the game, you learn of the the monster that's going to destroy the world. And you can, if you're high level enough, you can choose to just go and directly fight him immediately. Yeah, yeah. And kill him and that's a different ending you know and that's probably i wouldn't even say like 20 percent into the game at that point well i would say the only game that i've actually indulged in different endings has been near automata um which we discussed recently but i have a weird quirk in my head where i don't see multiple endings because i like to think that there's just one canon ending yes and whatever i end up getting that's my canon ending and i don't want to disturb that um, so if I ended up with a lead character dying, well, s- sucks, you know, but that's the way it ended. Um, and that's why I'm not a big fan of multiple endings. I prefer a well-told tight story with a good climax as opposed to just giving the decision up to the player and having the player need to figure out what it is he needs to do in order to achieve the best ending. Um, I think it's, you know, this is just my personal perspective. And again, I, I have controversial perspectives, apparently. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think it's just cheap in a way, you know, and, and I maybe people like it. Uh, I'm not a big fan of it. Um, I like to have just one story and one narrative. And, you know, I don't like to wonder what if um, in my games. So that's why I don't play through different endings. And I know that I just alienated all of you. Right no, now, yeah, so but um, please. Yeah, it depends. No, it depends. Like, you um, didn't, man. if it's like Chrono Trigger. Yeah. I think it's fine, but like if you have a game like Persona 4 where they say, you know, you have bad ending and then you have, you know, it's like the good <laughs> ending, um, I really wouldn't, well, okay, so yeah, for example, in Persona 4, you get to save right before the moment um, where yeah. like the, where you have the, you know, the scene where you either get the bad ending or you get to, you know, move on and, you know, go mm-hmm. for, for the good ending, but like often RPGs are so long that I really would like, I, I definitely want to get the best possible, you know, ending. And that's why I often, yeah. I, I mean, I check out the guide for whatever RPG I'm playing. I'm checking out that, uh, are there multiple endings and, you know, how to avoid like the bad ending? Because I, I don't want to play yeah. a game for 70 hours and then, you know, there's going to be like a fucking apocalypse at the end. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> I want my good ending. You suck. Try yeah. again. <laughs> well, and uh, just going back to the 16-bit era, um, I, I really think this was the point where RPGs just kind of sprawled and they oh, became absolutely. very popular. Um, and every developer was just trying something new. And every developer was forced with kind of the same question. How do you make the system, you know, with experience points and the like, engaging? Mm-hmm. Um, and there was kind of, again, a, a separation, a, a forking paths here. 
And some of them went the circuit of mana way, which is, you know, make it more action oriented. And that kind of follows its own lineage from that point forward. And it's just the action RPG um, where you can basically move about, you can hit whenever you want, but it's still underlined by numbers and stats. Um, and there are other RPGs that treat it a different way. Okay, let's keep it turn-based, but you actually have a say in what you do, which would be in the line of a Mario RPG, where if you time it just right, you're going to have you know you know a, a stronger attack or the like, or you have more accuracy or more effectiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, so, have any of you guys played any of these types of you know timed rhythm-based RPGs? So this is where you and I sort of diverge because this is my personal favorite kind of battle system mechanic because I think it it rewards it rewards you for taking the time to learn it without punishing you for not, you know, if you are able to, to sort of dive in and learn how to time these button presses correctly, you get more power, you get extra damage. You might get a cool animation or something like that. But if you just, if you're not good at it, you, it doesn't automatically lose you the game. You can still, you know, beat the whole game without doing it. It's just more difficult. And I agree that it's a good system. I think it's a great system. It's just not the best system. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But um, no, I mean, and and Mario RPG did this, but the way Mario RPG did it is just before you hit, you know, you kind of press a button and that gives you an extra effect. But also Earthbound also did it, which we mentioned we were going to talk about before we didn't. Um, And Earthbound, the way it does, is actually very much rhythm-based. You know, you can kind of combo it based on the music so if you go to the beat of the music you start pressing the button you know on the beat of the music and you could just keep comboing um something that was later done in in earthbound or was this only in mother three no it was in earthbound it was in earthbound yeah it was in earthbound um and you know it was also something that was present in a little game called vagrant story which i know paul (laughs) should have something to say about that (laughs) yeah I i have thoughts on vagrant story you know Okay, so I guess we'll move into 32-bit because we're starting to lag a little bit here. But I will say, um, I, I do yeah. want to say one thing before we, we leave 32-bit. Um, and that is, uh, I want to acknowledge also Yeez, um because I think it, it was also a sort of important touchstone. Um, not only in just being a good RPG series that's still around to this day, but the combat in in at least the original Ease, which I did play on the DS, is is completely completely eschews like the whole turn-based mechanic in its entirety it's like turn-based battles fuck that i'm just gonna run into people until they die but that was yeah. great like Which, I was, in, in yeah, its own the, way the i think people is yeah like i was just playing ease um book one just recently and like i was praising neon falcons um like their battle systems in their action rpgs like you know tokyo xanadu um the the recent ease games and I was like talking to you know talking about it with my girlfriend, and then my girlfriend was watching me play East One, and I was like, "Yeah, but here you kind of <laughs> don't have a you just bump into people and you yeah, start you, somewhere. You can't you even somewhere. you know swing your sword or anything. You just bump into people. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I mean it's a battle battle system still, but yeah, it's very um, simplified. <laughs>
so Paul, um, what 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 do you think about the route that RPGs took in the 32-bit era? Because I I have thoughts about this, but I first want to hear your <laughs> thoughts about this. <laughs> well, so, you know, in the 32-bit era, it's it, it's the same. You know, it's just it's evolution, man. Like that's really what it comes down to. You have the beginning, you have your turn-based, you have your active time, but then you have your parasite eaves and you have your vagrant <laughs> stories and it that's not it, like you're laughing but it's not a bad thing right like i enjoyed parasite eve i didn't think it was the greatest game ever but i certainly enjoyed it um vagrant story on the other hand i think is one of the greatest games and you know the battle system completely different you're training different weapons and certain weapons are more effective against certain enemies and you can't kind of lag behind with one weapon you got to use it you know, there's uh, the sort of risk system where you can keep the combo going, but it gets weaker as you go, and then it makes subsequent attacks weaker. It was really, I thought it was really innovative. Um, but unlike with other RPGs, I don't think Vagrant Story's battle system was necessarily what made it great. Uh, it was everything kind of around it. And the fact that the battle system was new and different at the time uh, was just a plus, but I don't think that's what made or broke that game. Well, I, I, I and, and here are my thoughts. Um, sorry. Um, <laughs> I think the 32-bit era was when developers just kind of went too crazy with adding systems upon systems upon systems. And I, oh, yeah. and I think Vagrant Story and Chrono Cross were kind of emblematic of that. I think Vagrant Story system is... It's very interesting, certainly. It's a very interesting system. Um, the risk system, you know, has a you know good interplay between risk reward of keeping the combo going. Um, but it, it's just so unnecessarily complicated to the point that the game has like an encyclopedia within the menu system just to kind of explain. And even then, it doesn't really explain the systems well. And, and it's so very easy to lock yourself into a kind of fail state of sorts because you didn't level up things the right way um, that it, it just be, makes it way too complicated and and I think the hallmark of a, of a good RPG system is that you can go back to it after not having played it for a long time and you can still pick it up yeah it may take you a little bit you know to get your sea legs going but you can pick it up I don't feel that way with either Vagrant Story or Chrono Cross um, they're, they're games that you really do have to learn the system in order to be good at it, in order to really be able to get through it and, and get something out of it. And the system just kind of takes front and center. Um, and that happened to me with Vagrant Story. And, and, and Paul, you know my story very well with Vagrant Story. I just kind of, yeah. after after 20 hours, I just gave up because I, I felt like I had lost my... You were weak. It's okay. <laughs> I was totally weak. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I admit it. I admit it. But I felt like... I was not playing the game the way that the developers wanted me to play it and and I was being punished for it. And and that's just kind of where I kind of and 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 to be honest, I felt terrible about it because I actually really really dug the story and the dialogue in Vagrant Story. I thought it was fucking excellent. Um and yeah. so to be kind of beaten down by the mechanics of it, you know, I feel like with Vagrant Story, the battle system got in the way of the game itself and that's you know, a diverging opinion. I think a lot of people will enjoy the battle system just fine and they will have a lot of fun with it. For me, it was the opposite. Um, so I think the 32-bit era was really the point where um, just the systems just became way too complex. And I don't think it's a, it's a surprise or a coincidence that after this era, 
action RPGs just kind of took front and center. So a lot of games, a lot of RPGs kind of went more into the action route. Um, I, I really do think that this was kind of the Baroque period of RPGs <laughs> where it was just way too much stuff added upon layers and layers and layers of, of systems. Um, so yeah, those those are my thoughts. <laughs> I, I, I want to add to your thoughts, Ozzy, and in that I think the 32-bit era was when sort of developers took everything and made it a little bit crazy, like went a little bit crazy with everything. And I think a lot of that is, you know, for so long you're sort of stuck in this cartridge, which has such limited capabilities in terms of memory and, and, and what you can do. And I think the jump from cartridge to sort of CD-based formats was such a leap that I think people were just throwing they were just like we've been unchained now we can throw so much more into every aspect of our game um and i think battle systems got a lot more complex because of that i think they you know i think they thought our games are going to be so much longer now that our battle systems have to you know keep people engaged for the amount of time i don't i don't know that people were sure that you know if all you've been playing up to this point was 20 30 hour rpgs in final fantasy and chrono trigger and you know earthbound jumping into a game like uh like dragon quest 7 which is 100 plus hours long i feel like there was maybe some sort of apprehension there where you know if we don't have sort of systems in place to keep people engaged will they keep playing a game for this long yeah i think so and i think there's something to be said about limitations. You know, limitations make for a better product, you know, in a way. And I think with the 32-bit era, we saw the great ways that the unchaining of the technology um, could improve RPGs. I mean, we saw it with Final Fantasy VII and VIII. I mean, the the CGs in those games were just so brilliant. and Phenomenal. Final, yeah, and Final Fantasy VII, just the idea that you could tell the story over this many discs and it was just this sprawling epic i mean that's the reason why people you know many people play rpgs nowadays just mm-hmm. final fantasy 7 got them into it yeah um and, and i think that was done right and you know if we're gonna go back to the chrono trigger comparison i i think again as i said chrono trigger best battle system ever um if you look at vagrant story and parasite eve they're two perfect uh analogs of how it could go right or in my opinion could go wrong with Parasite Eve, which was actually directed by one of the directors of Chrono Trigger, um, it, it very much closely followed that and stripped it back and adapted it to a new uh, genre, you know, which was kind of like survival horror. So you use projectile weapons, so guns, you know, and the like, but you also use magic, which is called Parasite Energy. And the positioning of it was very important, much like in Chrono Trigger. So the battlefield played a very big role and your movement played a very big role. The same thing, you know, applied in Vagrant Story. It's also very much about positioning. It's also very much about defending. And they even take it one step further. You target individual limbs. You target individual parts. Um, and then you add, you know, the, the different types of weapons, the different types of affinities, uh, elementals. It just adds upon layers and layers and layers and layers, you know, <laughs> whereas Parasite Eve just kind of stripped it back and just said, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to adapt it to another genre. Vagrant Story was just like, okay, how can we take it even further than that? Yeah. Um, and and as, as I said, I think Chrono Trigger was perfect as it was. So I, that's kind of the perfect point. And I'm not even going to talk. I mean, I don't know if I have time to talk about Chrono Cross. I mean, I, I could talk about Chrono Cross, but that game systems are just unnecessarily complicated. Not Vagrant Story, but unnecessarily complicated. 
Um, so. Yeah, I I'll actually actually kind of disagree with you on that. In that, when you okay, so when you started talking about Vagrant Story and you can target individual limbs and there's elemental affinities, dude, I was getting more and more excited. Um, <laughs> I and I realized that I'm kind of in the minority. Like I acknowledge that as the systems get more complex, you're losing more and more potential players. But for me, I thought that was I thought that was fantastic. That said, Chrono Cross, oi, that that was that was a rough ride. <laughs> I have opinions about that game. I, I, I th- that was a, the the perfect example of a game that if I went back to it after two weeks, I would not be able to figure it out uh, because yeah. the play on. I, I mean, and that was one of the many disappointments of Chrono Cross, which was that it was so different from Chrono Trigger. You know, as opposed to Chrono Trigger, you didn't fight in in the battlefield. You kind of went to the battle scenario like traditional RPGs. Um, you did see the characters, which was you know, you know, I'm glad that they at least kept that uh, before you encounter them. But you know, there was this play on elements, and every character has an innate element, and you have to play with that. And every character has a stamina. Um, and that stamina fills up, you know, to a different degree. And so you have three levels of hits, you know, one, two, and three, and they take up that amount of stamina. And it's kind of the play between that. And if your if your eyes are glazing over, it, it should be, you know, because <laughs> it's it's so unnecessarily complicated. And when you take into account that you have dozens of characters, it just becomes I, I don't know. It's just kind of a grind to be honest. And beyond that, the fact that I thought that the story in Chrono Cross was just not as tight and as well told as Chrono Trigger. You know, it's it's unfortunate that Chrono Cross is constantly compared to Chrono Trigger because it shares the same name because really mm-hmm. it's a different game altogether. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but, they really messed up giving it but that But it's just, it's just a game that kind of shows off exactly what I'm talking about with the 32-bit era, which is just why change something that works in the first place? You know, if something works, you know, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Um, so that those are my thoughts on Chrono Cross. I know, Paul, you have some thoughts on Chrono Cross. No, uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, but it's nothing that <laughs> it's nothing, nothing that we you haven't said already, <laughs> and there's no need to there's no need to beat that particular dead horse. Like the game is, and I know that there are people out there who have very fond memories of it. Hey, more power to you. I I just <laughs> thought it was large and unwieldy, and the storyline was not so great. And uh, yeah, I don't think there's any need to talk about it any further. Don't play it. <laughs> I think I think one of the big things that we'll see, especially in the 32-bit era, is that, in my opinion, in the 8-bit era, and to some extent in the 16-bit era, because of the limitations, combat was sort of the main draw of the RPG, at least the thing that carried most RPGs. You know, the random encounters of the boss battles, the final boss battles, those were the things that you really looked for in when playing RPGs. Those are the things people talk about when discussing RPGs of an earlier era. I think with the advent of the 32-bit era and moving forward, uh, stories sort of came to the forefront. Character development, you know, when you had three, four, five discs to tell, you know incredibly large stories with incredibly large cast of characters i think the combat sort of took a back seat to the the narrative um whereas before i think combat was sort of the draw to get you into the rpg and the thing that that got you to stick around um so i think yeah that, it definitely relied more heavily on the combat yeah so i don't know if if the if the sort of 
complication or, or the increasing complexity of, of the battle mechanics in 32-bit RPGs can be attributed to, to the fact that people just didn't know that that was the way it was going to be. Um, or, you know, combat had been such a central mechanic of RPGs for so long that maybe people thought, you know, people aren't just going to stick around for a story. Like, a story is nice, but we need something that'll keep players engaged, like something mechanical, something you interact with directly. Because to be honest, I mean, RPGs are the the most story-centric genre of games. So before RPGs really started going in on these, you know, 100-hour epic rides, nobody else was doing it. So how would you know that it was going to work, you know, beforehand? Uh, but I, I will... Yeah, I, I think with the 32-bit era, it was really just... It was really just an overlying thought of more is better. Yeah. We want more, we want longer, we want more complex. And then eventually you just kind of realize that more, eh, maybe not better. Maybe you want to tighten that up a bit. Um, and actually, Masa, I have a quick question. Did you guys get Final Fantasy VII translated? Uh, no, no, no. And um, I don't think there's a single RPG that's ha- that has gotten translated into Finnish. Um, but still, Final Fantasy VII was actually a big game here, um, and even a lot of like even um, a lot of my friends who I mean, obviously, like none of us were into RPGs because, like I said, RPGs didn't really exist here before Final Fantasy VII and you know Pokemon. Um, oh, Mystic Quest, Mystic Quest. Right? <laughs> I mean, I actually, I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, I'm hoping that it was it was never released in Finland. <laughs> Would be better. I mean, Final Fantasy <laughs> so. USA. Yeah. But yeah, like regarding the topic, <laughs> oh, of, topic of like 32-bit RPGs, um, I'm still waiting for our listen, listeners to send me some games so I can share my thoughts <laughs> about these games. Because <laughs> like Chrono for, Cross, like for just a couple of dollars, you can you, you can feed Masa's RPG. Yeah, uh, yeah like Chrono Cross, so it was please. never released in <laughs> Europe. Well, but also like based on like what you have been you know saying about the game, maybe it was for the better. <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah, listen. Yeah, look, you, you uh, Chrono, yeah, Chrono Cross. Uh, look, it's a good game. I'm not. I'm not. I don't think it's a great game, but it's a good game. And and if you play it, if only for one, the beautiful visuals, the visuals and the artists. I've heard the music is really good in it too. And the music, Yasunori Mitsuda. I would say it's right up there with. Both Chrono Trigger and Xenogears is probably top three. Bold, bold statement. Um, bold yeah, statements. no, but no, but but I mean, in terms of yes, <laughs> Yasunori right. Mitsuda. Yeah, yeah. Yasunori, yeah. Yasunori Mitsuda and Xenogears, my favorite Mitsuda soundtrack. But Chrono Cross, I mean, it's just the Celtic influences that he's known for just kind of take front and center, and mm-hmm. it has an island feel, and it just goes between the island and the Celtic feel, and. I, I if you're if you're gonna play it if only for the music it's worth it I, I I disagree with respect to that with Paul I I think you should play it if you have a chance you know and just kind of build your own opinion of it but I think on those two factors alone I think it's it, it, it makes it stand out but yeah there's something that I wanna get one more back thing to. about Chrono Cross wait <laughs> sorry okay. Masa one more thing about Chrono Cross uh, great intro I I love the cinematic intro. And I wish I had stopped playing after that intro. And, <laughs> awesome and, and then you would have thought what it would have been like, you know, what that game would have been oh, like been rather amazing. than the actual, you know, game that it was. Uh, because that intro yeah. is beyond amazing. Um, so yeah, it's fantastic. I wish I'd stopped there. So what's uh, what's going on? Masa? Yeah, yeah. Um, like something that I wanted to go back to is that like when Ozzy was talking about how uh, in the 32-bit era, like these RPGs um, started getting longer and the battle system started getting more complex to keep the 
kind of like to keep the player like more interested and you know like that you wouldn't like you know lose interest like they keep um adding like new things and i mean that is still going on and for example mm-hmm. like yeah speaking of like xeno games um like i was playing xenoblade chronicles 2 which is an amazing game but you know i was still like i was in the very last chapter and i was still getting like these tutorial pop-up windows i was like god damn it like you are still like introducing new things like i'm you know i'm trying to save the world here like you know get these <laughs> fucking pop-ups like out of my face god damn it. <laughs> like i mean that, that's a bit too much to be world. honest like i'm fine if you still like halfway through the game if you still introduce new stuff but like that should be it yeah yeah. yeah, but let, let, let me let me just say just one quick thing before we wrap it up for the 32-bit era. I want to say that I love this era of Squaresoft. I think there hasn't been, you know, as fertile a time for games as that time, you know, when Squaresoft was making every single RPG out there and all of them would be different. So you can go Final Fantasy, you can go uh, Chrono, you can go Saga Frontier, you can go Xenogears, um, Ray Fencer Musashi, Parasite Eve. I mean, all of them different. Uh, this was just a brilliant time for Square. I freaking love this time for Square, even though, again, I'm going to call it the Baroque period of RPGs. Um, but in, in any case, we should wrap it up and <laughs> go on into what came after. So, But I uh, will say, I'm going to stop you for a second, Ozzy, because I'm not going to let you close it out without me talking about Legend of Dragoon for like two seconds. Oh, I'm sorry, sorry, um, sorry. <laughs> because for <laughs> one, probably my favorite game of all time, but... I think the the one thing that games like like I think Legend of Dragoon also did um, something you said where the battle system became more complicated, but I think they did it right. It sort of took the Mario RPG uh, sort of time button press uh, approach to the battle system, but it made it equipable moves. So each character you had started with um, one move already equipped, and the more you successfully pulled off that move, it would count down until you unlocked the next move and every subsequent move would be a more complex combo um you know of just button presses but i think what made it interesting was that you could only have one of them equipped so let's say you didn't like the system you never had to move past the first combo and you could still i i think you could still beat the, the entire game that way um but it sort of rewarded players who were willing to to really dive deep and master it um it was it was different from Mario in that there was a visual cue. So every time you attack, there's a square in the middle of the of the screen, and there's a second square that's sort of sort of making its way, shrinking down to match the square that's already in the middle of the screen. And you have to press the button when they line up. Um, it was really complicated at first; like I could never do it. And then the more you play, you sort of get better at it. Um, and the the big reward is not only do you get stronger attacks and you do more damage. Um, but it's also just visually compelling. I don't know if you guys um, saw. I'll probably include it in the uh, in the notes for the show uh, when we post it up. But I'm, uh, there's a link to a YouTube video that just shows every single combo being executed by every character. And some of these are like six, seven time button presses in a row. You know, and if you mess up at any point, yeah. it just stops it. But it's such you know, a visual it's... treat to sort of go through and see like them just getting more and more complicated doing like flips and like double attacks and stuff like that yeah it's it's no vagrant story in terms of combos though <laughs> no <laughs> you, you can I, pretty much run a combo there for like you know in the 
teens and and nineties. You know, yeah. I don't I don't know, Paul. How how long can you run a combo in Vagrant Story? You could probably oh, run geez, it infinitely, man, right? I, I don't. I presumably I to be honest with you, I can't remember, but it was definitely it was definitely a super high number and. I would not say it was as visually appealing as Legend of Dragoon. Yeah. And I will say, what? building upon, just to close this out, um, before I let you say what you were going to say, Ozzy, I'm sorry. But um, I think building upon what Final Fantasy VII also gave us, which in retrospect might be the most important thing to come of this era of gaming, is big-ass motherfucking summons that take, like, two minutes for an entire animation that take up the whole screen Oof. and just kill shit. Like, that is yeah. still to this day so satisfying to get, like, you know, Meteor or, you know, summon a Dragoon in Legend of Dragoon. It's just, it's, it's, there's no, like, there's nothing that I can compare it to in terms of, like, Rush. It's just, like, I'm going to use this ultimate attack on an enemy that is, that I don't even need to use it on, but I just want to watch it happen. Well, hey man, it's the difference between the Empire State Building and my house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> one of them is one of them is awesome, and you want to look at it, and the other one is like hitting the attack button. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds, uh, um, Arnie, like it's very similar to what Shadow Hearts later ended up doing. And I think in terms of the rhythm, um, you know, kind of approach, I think Mario and Luigi are the only RPGs that are still doing it to this day. Um, It kind of seemed to be an evolutionary dead end there. Um, and I think that, yeah, it's it's a very interesting system, but I just don't see it that often anymore. At least Absolutely. not until, you know, Nintendo localizes more than three, you know, so... It's it's a very interesting system, um, but it's it's funny because once you go into the PS2 era, you kind of start seeing. I would call this the rise of the of the level um, of the level five era, you know, with Rogue Galaxy and Dark Cloud two and the like, which was much more action oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas some other uh, series like Persona kind of perfected the kind of elemental summons um, approach to turn based RPGs. So maybe Masa, you can tell us a little bit more about Persona since I I, I know you you may be a little bit into it. Yeah, uh, maybe a little bit. Um, okay, so yeah, Persona. Um, I would say that it's when it comes to my favorite battle systems, it 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 would probably be my second favorite. Um, and it's actually like to be honest, like especially like if you play the older games. Okay, I'm just gonna pretend that Persona One and Two don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> but like Persona 3 and 4, um, yeah, I mean, it is like uh, based on the elemental weakness. And there's the whole press turn system that you um, you hit the enemy's elemental weakness and then you get an extra turn. And yeah, you might actually like um, wipe out the entire enemy army, like doing just like one turn. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, especially like in Persona 3 and 4, I mean, that's basically it. It's that simple. It's like I would say it's it's a very brilliant system, but it, it is. I mean, it's really simple, but 
Um, of course, you have to kind of like memorize like which enemies are you know weak to you know which attacks and you know elements. Yeah. So, uh, but they they did fix that for Persona Five, where um, like if you have hit the uh, enemy's elemental weakness, then the next time mm -hmm. it actually like shows you that okay, so yeah, this enemy is weak to you know electricity, for example. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Paul, I don't think I've heard it from you, but what would you say is your favorite battle system? Um, because I, I, I think for me, we've already agreed, Chrono Trigger, hands down, best system ever. Um, for Arnie, I think he's partial to the rhythm, you know, Legend of Dragoon type. Um, but what, what's your favorite battle system? You know, it's it's very, it's interesting because the last two big RPGs I've played have both been turn-based, Etrian Odyssey 5 and Persona 5. <laughs> I still love my turn-based systems, but even I'll acknowledge that really the seal there's a lower ceiling for turn-based. There's only so much you can do. And once you start opening it up to real time and active and timing your button presses and so on, the ceiling on fun really just kind of gets a lot higher. And so like as far as impact, it was Final Fantasy IV. Um, but as far as favorite, you know, Final Fantasy twelve, man. Like, I thought that I thought it was just fantastic. Like, because you have you have party, you know, or uh, games that have parties, and oftentimes you'll have computer controlled characters. And my God, I just want to kill all the computer controlled characters. <laughs> like, why don't you just go stand in the corner there, and I'll grind the main character and just do it all with the main character. That's how I felt most of the time with any party game where computers control the characters but Final Fantasy 12 pretty much fixes that where you can just enter a whole bunch of if scenarios you know like if your health is below 50% then this character does X mm -hmm. or if it falls below 75% yeah. this character does Y and you're able to just set up your party such that you can you know just drink your coffee and watch your characters do the whole thing mm -hmm. and enjoy the fruits of your labor it's the difference between playing soccer and managing a soccer team <laughs> yeah. and uh there is something to be said for the joy of managing and well, final fantasy 12 i thought really hit a nice sweet spot between uh you know good good tactics that you have to think about uh being active because of the active time battle and at the same time, delegating a lot of the garbage that you might not necessarily want or need to do in uh, in battle. Mm -hmm. well, and they... uh, honorable, sorry, one more thing. Honorable mention: Persona Q on the 3DS, as far <laughs> as turn-based goes. Man, oh man, did I ever love that battle system! I'm not going to waste too much time talking about it, except to say that in most games, you press attack and you press attack and you press attack. And in Persona Q, you press attack maybe 5% of the time. Yeah. Uh, the game really makes using abilities repeatable and more interesting. It's a lot of fun. And I played it for a long time strictly because of the battle system and the battle music. Because otherwise that game, eh, not so great. <laughs> well, I, I feel like, you know, it was in the PS2 era that, and particularly near the end of the cycle of the PS2 era, with Final Fantasy XII and the like, that we started seeing a move towards RPG to either go the full action RPG route or start adopting a more MMO type of style. And I think Final Fantasy XII did that, but with the added layer of the Gambit system, which, as you said, I would consider it almost like coding, you know, where you can determine how your characters and party members are going to play based on what you 
what type of settings you, you set. Um, so I, I think, you know, Xenoblade is another one of those where it's kind of like more MMO oriented. Um, but, you know, it, it was really at this point that I started seeing a lot of divergence and kind of the the almost death of, uh, of the, you know, traditional turn-based RPGs, other than Persona, of course, um, and Neon Falcon games. Um, but in terms of the mainstream, you know, you didn't see most RPGs having a, a, a traditional turn-based system. I, I will say, uh, number one, that my two biggest pet peeves in RPGs, not being able to control every every character, game over when main character dies. That's Burnout 3. Come oh, on. yeah, that's uh, that oh, You just my described God, that one drives me crazy. <laughs> And I've not been able to get through Persona 3 because of those two things. I I cannot tell you how much I hate when your main character dies, cause something, especially in Persona games, because you can be hit with a weakness that you didn't even know the enemy had until they hit you with it, um, and then just die. And the rest of your party's still alive, still capable of reviving you, but you just get game over. You know, it's not even... It's, like, it it's, wouldn't even be that bad if it was just about the weaknesses, like... Um, but like personal games, you have this like one hit, you know, KO moves. So it's like, yeah, all of a sudden, like you really have to like uh, make sure that you're, you know, that like the protagonist that they that they are protected against those like one hit KO moves. Yeah, yeah. But it might so be like, I yeah, it might that. be that yeah, you're doing well, everything is going according to plan, and then all of a sudden, boom, like one turn and it's yeah. game over. And I and I say that. Oh my that, god, it's so yeah. upsetting. And I say that as a as a sort of preface to what I'm about to say, which is that my my fi- personally my favorite RPG battle system is the rhythm battle system. But I think that the Persona rock paper scissors sort of uh, elemental weakness mechanic might be the best battle system. I think. Um, I think it's simple enough for people who might not be familiar with RPGs to get into it and sort of understand and very easily rewards, uh, you know, just even the slightest bit of exploration into what you have um, in terms of, of using magical abilities and stuff like that. It's not, it's not as complicated as, as maybe some other systems are, but it, it gives you just a visual sense of if I hit enemy X with spell Y, they go down. I'm rewarded with an extra turn, which in turn motivates me to want to learn every enemy's weakness. And I think it balances that out, which could seem annoying, but I think it's fair. It balances it out by also making your characters susceptible to weakness, depending on what personas they have equipped. And so the enemy can very easily turn the tables on you if you're not sort of present. So I think it it has the unpredictability of never making battles seem samey, with the added benefit of a of a system that I think is very easy to get into, but can be very complex the more you dive into it. Yeah, very good points. Um, and then on 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 that note, I also wanted to talk while we're sort of discussing the modern era. I wanted to make sure that we did hit on uh, Western RPGs. The the only time that I think I'll be referencing Western RPGs, but I think. The PS2, Xbox era of gaming, um, along with the GameCube, I think entered a, the the new sort of realm of uh, giving players a lot of agency in story, so a lot of choice. I'm talking specifically of like Bioware games, so we're talking Knights of the Old Republic, we're talking Jade Empire, 
to a certain degree, we're talking Mass Effect, um, just where you sort of embody the main character and you can sort of script how the story goes, not to a, not to a, not the overall story, but each interaction you have mm-hmm. some degree of influence on. Um, and then obviously you get into the, the moral systems of good and bad, which I think, you know, are simple for the time. Um, but really just give the player a lot more reason to be playing the game. I think it, it gives you a lot more, uh, it's better for immersion's sake, um, and it makes you feel a little bit more connected to your character. Yeah, no, very good point. And uh, that's, yeah, that's a huge thing in in Western RPGs. Like, we didn't get too much in the way of choices, I thought, until mm-hmm. I started playing games um, like Planescape Torment yeah, on the PC. Yeah, I was going to say. And, uh, yeah, Torment is like man that's like a podcast in and of itself <laughs> um but arnie actually i think we're running a little long here i think uh masa wants to go over his favorite uh, rpg system yes. since we've all mentioned our yep. favorites and uh since he grew up in a third world country i really want to be kind and allow him to finish <laughs> up with that before we uh, call you. it a day all right so go okay, ahead okay so yeah um first of all i want to give a shout out to tokyo mirage sessions um which is Okay, so first of all, nobody played that game because first of all, it's a very niche <laughs> title and it was on the Wii U. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm probably like one of the two people who actually like played that game. Um, but yeah, it's very similar to Persona um, as it has the elemental weakness system. But um, in that game, um, you have this session system, which actually like, you can kind of like chain um, attacks and like... Late into the game, you might even get like these, um, and these like combo attacks. It's like the whole party, even like the backup members, are actually included in these attacks. And at the end, you might have a you know twenty or thirty um, attack combo. And okay, so yeah, I know that some people hate it because like the attack animations are quite long, <laughs> so it kind of turns the game into a music video, and you just you know. You, most of the time you don't even have to do anything you just like sometimes you might have to hit like the you know the button for the special attack but for for the most part it's like yeah you just watch the you know combo go um <laughs> but uh, yeah i mean that's one game that i'm really hoping that it's gonna come over to the switch that more people would you know play it but, but yeah, anyway since we are um running short on time um yeah i just want to talk about my favorite battle system and that's trails of cold steel um and why that's my favorite? It's because I feel like that's the... It kind of is a mix of everything good when it comes to like these pure um, turn-based systems. Because it has the whole elemental weakness thing from, um, you know, Persona. Um, it has these area attacks that you can... Like area attacks that you can hit multiple enemies, but you can also like move freely on the field. And... Another big thing is uh, manipulating the turn order. Because, yeah, you have this, like, um, you can see the turn order at all times. And you have, um, it's important in a way that um, there's different, like, status effects, um, you know, happening during random turns. And then you have to manipulate it uh, in order, for example, to get um, a critical attack for your party instead of like you know the enemy hitting you with the critical attack because for example once in uh, mm-hmm. Cold Steel 2 actually I got really lucky at that one of the final bosses 
um, they got like the critical attack right away and it was game over. <laughs> Didn't even get to oh, do wow. anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, Arnie, um, yeah, that's probably like, um, coming up for you at some point. Good to know. Good to know what I'm getting myself yeah. into. But also one thing that's really fun about. I'm looking forward to it. I, I've got Trails of Cold Steel. I haven't. I haven't played it yet, yeah. but I'm really looking. But yeah, forward one to more it. thing about that game. Um, what's really fun is like breaking the game, because often you can sort oh, of like yeah. break the you know the game by you know just grinding and leveling up. Uh, but in actually like in Cold Steel, you can't really grind that much like uh, beyond like the current enemy level because yeah, the XP gains get like really really low, like really fast. Um, but like you can like with different setups and different items, you can like really break the game. Like, uh, for example, in Cold Steel 2, like late game, I was able to beat, um, a lot of the late game bosses, um, in just like one or two turns. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. And it's I like, love it. and I, I mean, I love, yeah. love that and ability. Like both yeah. me and my girlfriend were playing, the, um, Cold Steel 2 at the same time. And like she didn't really abuse the system, so I mean she had a very different um, experience than I did because I mean I was taking advantage of all these like um, really overpowered items that really like can break the game and um, like to me that was a lot of fun. Okay, so yeah, sure it made the game um, stupid easy at the end, but still it was like really fascinating that you can actually like do that. No, I I appreciate oh, no, dude. When breaking I, a game yeah. in that manner. It's like solving yeah, exactly. a puzzle. Yeah. It's it's super super satisfying. I find personally, it's the best reward you can gain you can get for sort of investing the time into figuring out the system. Yeah, yeah. Last thing, real quick, because I know we're running short on time. I want quick fire. So just first thing, without thinking, favorite era of RPG, Paul. Sixteen bit. Alright. It's tough, but 16-bit. Alright, Ozzy? 32. And I know I just shot myself in the foot <laughs> with that, but 32. <laughs> Masa. Um, modern. Modern? Alright. I, I, it's tough, man. I'm going to have to say 16-bit, though. Um, Just in the amount of sort of revolutionary games that they were, it has to be 16 for me. All awesome. Right. So yeah, for um, me it was like the age that I was. The age that I was when the 16-bit era came along, it was I was right. Yeah, but yeah, but let yeah. me explain um, myself, like why I chose modern <laughs> games. I mean, well, I mean, I have explained like many times, but um, like I mean, I never get got to play these games like back in the day. And I mean, I have gone yeah. you know back and like I have played you know Final Fantasy VI, Chrono Trigger, um, Secret of Mana, um, Earthbound, all these games, and I love them, um. But yeah, I still like I. I mean, I missed out on that era, so yeah, yeah. like I don't have that nostalgic yeah, man, feeling yeah. for these games. Yeah, absolutely. At the end of the day, it's about where you started. It's about where you started for sure. Yeah. The only thing I would say is RPGs need more co-op. That's, yeah, that's of my Mana. recommendation oh, yeah. to all RPGs out there. Need more co-op. And Tales of yeah, I mean Tales of Series is a great example of that. Yeah. I mean, Secret of Mana was was doing three player co op back in the SNES yeah. days, which is nuts to me. I mean, just that's like amazing. And like, what's uh, special about that game is that um, if you think about Tales of games, like it's only co op during battles. 
Like when you act like yeah. move um, on the like the overworld is just you know like the main character is just like moving and the others mm-hmm. are I don't know <laughs> where, where they are but like it's only go <laughs> up like during battles but the secret of mana like like every character can you know like move freely on the field. Yeah. All right, guys. So that'll just about wrap it up for the third episode of the Region Free Gamers podcast. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed. If you guys have any questions, comments, please feel free to hit us up either on Instagram uh, or on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you can, leave us a review, uh, preferably a positive one. Um, but feel free to, to truly express your opinions on, on each and every one of us. Uh, but it helps us out a lot if you, you know, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your dog um, about us. Just have everybody listening to us that you can. It's it's always really helpful. Um, and talking about dogs, talking about dogs, I have just finished this podcast with a puppy sitting on my lap for the last <laughs> two and a half hours. And she has been quiet. So I am very wow. happy that we got through this. I call so. that a win. Um, so this let's start. Alive, Masa, why don't you? <laughs> I, I don't know. I have to check. I have to check. <laughs> so Masa, uh, why don't you tell people where they can find you? Okay. So um, you can find me on Instagram and my handle is masajarvinen09. Um, okay. So I don't need uh, followers anymore because I'm Instagram famous. But what you can do is send me PlayStation 1 RPGs. <laughs> so that that's what you can do. Like DM me, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you my address and you can send me all the PS1 RPGs that you have. <laughs> I'm going to send you a yeah. Quest. So, you know. Just I know, right? You. He's going to get like bombarded with yeah. Mystic Quest. <laughs> um, I, my name is Ozzy. Uh, you can find me at that. The, that collector um, so shout out the collector I just made that unnecessarily complicated um, so that's on Instagram so Paul where can we find you 8bit uh, yarns the number 8bit yarns uh, on Instagram uh, that's where you can find me alright and you can find me at Instagram at welcome to the game so that's the word welcome number 2 the game uh, I think that's about it I don't know if we want to plug anything else Nope, no more plugging for me. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I'm all plugged up. <laughs> That's a wrap on the third episode, guys. And and Masa, Masa, Sweet. just just go just go back to your pimping business now. So you're you're free. <laughs> I was gonna say you can also send Masa uh, Asian porn stars. Yes, he would please. also really yeah. appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right thank, thank you guys. Nice Peace job. out.